Retro Hangovers, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Studstill Smash the Milkman, Raging Demon, Katie Quigg, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, The Backlog, Lunchbox, aka The Disgruntled Gamer, Disca Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Parallax Puddles, Soha, Dave Jackson, Matt, aka Stormageddon, Retro Overdrive, Van Fernal, Keith Gasper, Eric Guess, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, Ash Event, Alan Bingham, Storm Beagle, Ryan Player One, Mike the Ref from Backbreaker Gaming, B Ross from Super Garbage Day, Darth Emic, Low Five Alex, and Alt. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Retro and classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we eternally edge earnestly eating edamame eagerly. This is Retro Hangover. I'm your co-host, Chris Copeland, with special guest, Corey, from My Life in Gaming. And here's my question for you. And as always, your host, Shane. Blue Trick Dragon Cold Koski. You know, it 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 does nothing for the folks listening at home, but I I always appreciate when we do these little recordings with video because I just like to see your face when you do that. It's like, it's like you're constipated. I love it. It's the force. There was one time it it like looked like you were frozen. I thought your window, (laughs) your video window froze. I think it was because I was frozen. That's probably back in the days when I had bad internet, just freeze framed it right. I was like, ah, like, yeah, making the face, you know, (laughs) on an audio only podcast, you know, Hey, listen, if you want to get a good visual, go, go to our Twitch stream, see my face and then just imagine me. You know, trying to force a big log out for in, in a long period of time. There you go. You're welcome. Well, then we, we always start these episodes off strong. It's, it's great. We do. We have to. We can't disappoint the listener. By the way, welcome back to the show, Corey. I know yeah. you have been over there on our Patreon right now with the King of Games 96. You've been on the King of Games 92. But on the main show here, the last time you were here was for Lunar the Silver Star. So I think... Hey, you were on the first episode of the year last year with Lunar Silver Star, and this year you're back for Lunar Eternal Blue. We also had you for Dragon Wang, and uh, uh, I'll, let, I'll just let you say hi before I share an interesting story there, but welcome back. A lot of dragons in there. A lot of dragons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I mean, we had such a good time talking about this last year, and I'm glad that, mm-hmm. that we made the plan to do this 
a year later and then you followed up on it and it's happening. Absolutely. Uh, I do have to say I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. I, I normally don't talk about episode downloads on this show. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see how this does because you have the unique honor of being on probably our worst performing mainline episode <laughs> and our best performing mainline episode. There you uh, go. The best performing when it as as in terms of its after release, of course, not like long term because there's a weird story about another one. I don't want to get into that now. <laughs> but um, Lunar the Silver Star was probably our best performing episode in our entire back catalog, and Dragon Wang by far is the worst. <laughs> by far by far it, that is like for some i mean to, to be fair i feel like our top five dick dragon intros one is like gonna be right up there too but yeah it's it's fighting it's fighting for it i'd have to go and compare but uh dragon wang that's kind of like the mendoza line for <laughs> how i determine whether or not an, an episode is being successful and you know so I'm interested to see how this one does, but I do know that Lunar fans are fanatical, so I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be strictly, like, precisely in the middle. It's going to be the most average performing. Yeah, the new Mendoza (laughs) line. The true Mendoza line. (laughs) But in any case, we are here to talk about, uh, as you could infer, probably because you saw the title before you clicked on this episode, uh, Lunar Eternal Blue for the Sega CD. I'm sure there's going to be some bleed over with uh, Lunar to Eternal Blue complete for the PS1. Uh, which honestly I don't plan much on talking about, but we'll get into the why later. But uh, before we get into that, we like to talk about what we have been playing lately. And as is tradition, we like to start with our guest. So, Corey, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I found myself uh, falling into a pit of Hades. Uh, Mm. I've been playing a lot of Hades. Uh, You know, I always thought that I didn't like roguelite likes. And then last year, I really got sucked in by Returnal. And a lot of people said, oh, you should check out Hades. So I just, I booted that up. And, you know, I always thought I hated this genre. And now I can't, every time I play one, I'm like, oh, this is, this is just amazing. Someone said it during one of our live streams recently. And I think that it is, rings true, is that, that these rogue likes or rogue lights are like a modern version of the arcade game where they're meant to be playing, played in these like ever-changing uh, small sequence of events. You know, it's like, it's, but it's always slightly changing, uh, but you just like, get better and better and better. And it's meant to be re- like played repeatedly. It's just, it's a great game. It's a great game. Great voice acting, especially. I remember when that game came out, it was on the tip of everyone's lips. Like so many people were talking mm-hmm. about it. It was just an amazingly hot game. Did that win game of the year? Uh, I- I don't know. It's not like the game awards, the game awards have any real, real true bearing on anything. Right. But I mean, for what it's worth, I think it lost to the last of us or was the animal crossing. I'm not sure. I get them all mixed up, but it was a big game, big, big game. Yeah. Um, I got to say too, cause you were talking about returnal and uh, go check out my life and gaming's end of the year episode that they did for wrapping up 2023 and previewing 2024. If you want to know what Corey's further talking about, fantastic episode he talks about returnal and so many other games and their experiences throughout the year and it was a really good one just like they normally do just their standard just really high quality so once Thanks. again go check that out you know those videos always end up doing pretty well and a lot of people enjoy them because we just you never know what's going to be next and a lot of times you know we work on it leading up to 
the uh, the end of the year. But the last week, the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's is always like big crunch time and very difficult to get it done. A lot of times it's like like this year is right down to the wire because we always release it on New Year's Eve. And uh, it's like the only deadline we haven't messed up <laughs> yet. <laughs> uh, and we, we've been really good at keeping uh, keeping to that every year. But, you know, it was, it was real close this year. But what we're going to we're doing something a little bit different for for 2024 is that we are recording and editing month by month and we're going to break the episode up by month so we can kind of just like talk about whatever is like fresh in our mind each month and then we're going to like we're going to uh edit the episode with those segments all together and it's all like split up by month and it's, i think it'll be kind of cool something different also it, it helps us avoid that crunch but on the flip side <laughs> a lot of times we don't talk very long about certain games because we know that we don't have enough time to edit that, but now we like can just do what we want to do. And, uh, it might result in a four hour episode. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of, kind of terrified, but you know, a f- four hours made over the course of a year doesn't sound so bad, I guess in between two people. Oh yeah. That's, that's a ton of work. That is a ton of work. hundred percent, especially mm-hmm. video editing and the quality you guys do it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I hope that uh, we stick to our plan. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Shane, how about yourself? What have you been playing lately? Well, certainly not Hades, although that's been on my backlog since it came out, basically. So maybe maybe someday. Actually, at this point, I think what I'm banking on is that my backlog is going to sit long enough that they the games will eventually qualify for the show. I think that's the only way I'm going to get around to playing them. But no, uh, my, uh, you may, you may have heard of this little game. Uh, it's called uh, Lunar Eternal Blue. Uh, oh. Yeah, for the Sega Compact Disc system. Uh, yeah, huh. so I've, I've been, I've been dabbling, one might say, with that recently. I hope to hear your thoughts on it someday. Uh, you know, I might get around to it. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll put it out in the Patreon feed. If you, if people yeah. want to hear about it, I don't know. Yeah. If, if they're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I, I got nothing else that, that, that's, that's, that's my life. What, what, what about you? What, what you got going on? Well, I was, I was probably going to say the same thing as you, Shane, that I had only been playing the, the game of the day just because I've just been so bogged down with, uh, life stuff as I imagine all of us have been. Uh, but today as the recording of this, I found some time because at work we had to go to a gun range and get people qualified in weapons so i thought i'm going to be sitting around there all day because i just have to observe and just be there as like a safety precaution i'm going to bring my uh 2ds with me and i'm going to play some 2ds games Mm. so i actually busted it out and spent some time playing fragrance story which i i finally think i got like I've always liked it, but now I think I really understand what that game was trying to accomplish and, and its goals and, and what it's trying to be. And I'm having a lot more fun with it than I did initially. There's been several expansions. So when the game came out, if you don't know what Fragrant Story was, first go check out our interview with William Cage, the uh, developer of Fragrant Story that we did a while back. Uh, it's one of the last physical 3DS games ever created. I think it was released right before Andro Dunos 2. 
and Limited Run has teased that they're going to be doing another 3DS physical release, but they haven't said what that is yet. And who knows, right? Because uh, they also said Dracula X was coming out for the Turbo CD two years ago. So we'll see. But I, I've been playing uh, a, when that first came out. I think it had one story mode scenario, which, of course, was voiced by the characters that voiced uh, Balthier and Fran and had music by the uh, composer of Final Fantasy 12. So very Final Fantasy Tactics-esque. But since then, there have been five more story mode scenarios added in addition to a ton more challenges. So I've I've gotten to, I think, the fourth story mode now. And you can see like each story mode improves on the previous one in terms of its challenge and the way it builds. And it's, it's very unique because you don't level up your characters as you would traditionally think you would in a story mode. Every single time you go to a new chapter, everything resets. And the way that you level up your characters is that you collect points in each scenario and you use these tickets that you get and you put them towards the characters in this kind of permanent setting. So you go into it with these upgrades because getting levels in and of itself is is fairly easy. And that's actually a strategic aspect and how you approach how you're going to attack the enemies within a, in a level set. So now that I'm learning kind of how to play it and the mentality behind it it's like okay this this game is a lot deeper than i initially thought i'm actually really really enjoying it i'm not just sucking up to the game because william cage was on our episode um we had him on here i'm i'm like oh yeah i'm like more impressed with it than i was initially so if you have a physical copy of fragrant story pop it in you might find a new addition to your game there i might get a new download i don't know how the eShop works uh, but uh, I think there might be other ways you can get this DLC. You want to call it that? If if you know what I mean, I've heard the 3DS is incredibly easy to to hack. I mm-hmm. I've heard <laughs> I have heard. If listen, if if, if I can do it, anybody can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's even easier now than it was when I did it. it was like which was like two years ago. Before I needed to have uh, I think po- like Pikachu Picross or Pokemon Picross. Like the demo or something like that downloaded from the eShop. But I think it's you don't even need that anymore. Oh, it's far easier. Yeah, it's, it's far it's easier. It's dead simple at this point. So, yeah, go check out Fragrance Store. I await the cease and desist from Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when you were going to say I've been spending a lot of time on the 3DS, then you're going to say I've been using its backwards compatibility to play and enjoy Lunar Dragon Song. What? what what's that? I've never heard of that. There's a I DS think... game. A DS, no, uh, no, there isn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. I've never, I, know, I, I own it, but I've never played it. So I, I, I just know that it, like, that is supposedly bad. I'll be, well, I mean, okay. I do know Dragon Song exists, okay. but that is the first game that I have both, I almost say it's the first game I've pre ordered. I've pre ordered tons of games. I did pre order it. But I think it's the first game I've actually traded in. Really? Ever. Were you just, were you like steaming mad over it? Just yes. All right. I I hated it. <laughs> Any game that causes you to lose hit points because you commit the crime of running on the overworld map <laughs> is not what I want to play. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's it sits on a crown of lies. <laughs> it sits on a throne of lies. Throne of lies. Yes. So I will go back to pretending it does not exist. It never came out for the for the DS, I'm waiting for another Lunar game. No Lunar game has come out 
since a well, new lunar game has come out since uh, eternal blue complete i know there's mm. been remakes of the first one but i i do not acknowledge any other ones it sounds an awful lot like that uh supposed well two actually th- these two supposed indiana jones movies that were created <laughs> i've heard yeah. about them yeah. yeah did they did they ever come out no no i mean it was <laughs> the last crusade was aptly named you know yeah mm-hmm. totally totally yeah, you know it even ended with them riding off into the sunset at the end yeah indeed I have to rub a crystal skull or something like that to figure out if they're ever going to make another one maybe have some some vodka crystal or yeah. tequila crystal skull tequila is that what it is i think it's vodka dan Aykroyd would know he makes yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> anyway let, i think we're getting too on too many tangents here sort of i mean we were talking about lunar in a sense I, I think it is time to talk about uh, Lunar 2, Eternal Blue. What do you think, Shane? I believe you are correct. And, you know, out of the two of us, what better person to talk about this Japanese RPG than the, the resident Japanese RPG fanboy? Spoiler alert, it's not me. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and uh, give the folks at home a brief history of Lunar Eternal Blue. We've probably said something similar to what I'm about to say here before, but when you're one of the best-selling games of a console, with that game also being a critical success, you're likely to create a sequel. As we discussed last year, Lunar Silver Star was the second best-selling game for the Sega CD. Was the Sega CD mega popular? (laughs) No, not really. But the success of Lunar meant a few more things than just being a decent-selling, good game. First off, it was a success for perhaps the most popular genre in Japan, the RPG. Second, it was extremely successful for GameArts' first foray into that genre. Clearly, they saw an opportunity to seize on that momentum on hardware they understood well or another opportunity. Development would start very shortly after completion of Lunar the Silver Star. Game Arts would, of course, tap Studio Alex to lead development, with Yoichi Miyagi returning as the game's general director, as well as most of the talent that had created the previous game. This included the return of writer Kei Ishigema, who said the idea of the game stemmed from the story of Sun Wukong being unable to escape from the palm of Buddha, resulting in the game's creation of an oppressive god. For a Sega CD game, it was given quite a large budget of $2.5 million. Game Arts would also take almost three years to develop it, taking it well beyond the last days of the Sega CD's relevance in the gaming market. The game would be released in Japan on December 22, 1994, for 9,900 yen, or approximately 100 US dollars. And despite the high price, it would become the second highest selling game in Japan for the Sega CD, only behind its predecessor. Working designs, led by Victor Ireland, would obviously be taking the helm for the North American localization, seeing as Silver Star did an amazing job of putting working designs on the map. This, of course, meant that it would come with their trademark practices that today are either loved or loathed. This included a slew of contemporary pop culture references in the text, editing out nudity and pentagrams, 
increasing prices at shops, and making enemies have more hit points, higher defense, and do more damage. Most infamously though, or Lunar Eternal Blue, working designs would penalize the player for saving, making them pay a price of 15 magic points per the level of the game's main protagonist, which was the currency used to upgrade the party's magic in order to save your progress. These changes have led to altered versions of the game with much of the original content intact, as we have discussed in our Popful Mail episode with ROMs you can download on the internet today. While the game may have been a hit in Japan, it didn't have quite the same impact in North America. With the release date of September 1995, it's easy to see why. The Sega CD wasn't quite the system people were looking to get new games for, especially with the Sony PlayStation and Sega Saturn releasing around the same time. Critics, however, loved it. The game's animated cinematics, which were top-notch for the Sega CD, excellent story and engaging gameplay were constant characteristics cited by reviewers. The appreciation for the game was so high that in 1997, Electronic Gaming Monthly named it their 40th best console game of all time. While the Sega CD version may not have gotten a lot of mainstream attention, the game would be remade for the Sega Saturn in Japan in 1998, with a port to the PlayStation in 1999 as Lunar 2 Eternal Blue Complete. The PS1 version would receive a North American release, also by Working Designs, on December 15, 2000, to much more mainstream critical acclaim. The game has not been ported to anything since, and as of now, it does not look like it may ever be. And that is your brief history of Lunar Eternal Blue. All right. Thank you very much for that brief history. I know we're going to talk about this more as, as we get into, well, probably starting with the plot and writing, but man, working designs. Am I right? There, there's, I, I have some, <laughs> I have some thoughts about this game and perhaps their, their touch, their, their legacy that they left on it. Uh, some good. Some good and some and some not so good, but we'll we'll get mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely in the in the gameplay and plot writing section because I think I have good and bad here as well. Uh, mostly, I think in this case, mostly good. I think the the bad is is mostly in the NPC dialogue. But again, I we'll, we'll get to that later. Mm. Uh, but before we get to that, we like to talk about our own personal experiences here, and. Shane, I think you're I think you're the best one to start this off so we can oh, you know really? kind of divert to to the people who actually have them. So Shane, <laughs> why, what is why is that? <laughs> what is what is your personal experience with Lunar Eternal Blow? Well, Chris, I uh I happen to have been playing this this little game called Lunar Eternal Blue lately. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh never. Yeah, I I just I just found it. And, uh, you know, I've been, been checking it out, dabbling, one might say, you know, I gotta say it's all right. It's all right. You know, I hadn't really heard of it before, but you know, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's, it's kind of, kind of new on the scene, you know, it's got those, those cutting edge pixel graphics, uh, you know, 
full full animated cutscenes with voiceovers. So I gotta say I'm I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, but uh, you know I, I you know I I I don't imagine that a lot of people have had time to really have a lot of personal experience with it with it being so new and all. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah that's that's my experiences with it so far. It's been it's been very recent. You know, un unsurprisingly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm glad <laughs> you have just discovered this game. I'm going to go next because I have I have previewed Corey's statement here, <laughs> and this is probably it is, it is more interesting than mine. So I'm going to save the best for last on the personal experiences here. I would say not by much. I will toot my horn a little bit here. So lunar lunar eternal blue. I think I discussed this in the original lunar game last year. Is how lunar was pretty much the game that made me want to get a Sega CD. Mm-hmm. Lunar two was a game that when I got my Sega CDX uh, was a game that came with it. And as such, I wanted to play both of them. My friend had both of them. These are both Lunar games. I love the original Lunar. So I got done with it. Of course, I wanted to play its sequel. And being someone who is very used to the Final Fantasy games, having a sequel that was directly in line with the game's predecessor was something that was not something I was used to. So having a game carry on <laughs> to the next game wild. for RPG. I know. It's weird. <laughs> like expecting a sequel, sequel to my God. I know, right? right? Continuity. But when I when I first played the game, I was very thrown off by it because I I liked a lot of I won't say liked, but at the time I loved a lot of the concepts that were in Silver Star with with the Dragon Master and collecting all the pieces of the dragon armor and dragon equipment and becoming the dragon master again and and going to save the day and lunar 2 does not do that so i remember making it about halfway through the game i'm like i'm not going to be a dragon master am i i'm putting this game to the side this game is bad this is this is like 11 year old 12 year old me so i'm just like "Ah, (laughs) dumb but that was my mentality (laughs) it was like this is not everything the first lunar game was i'm putting it away Years later, I, I don't know when it finally clicked. I'm like, I, I need to revisit this. There's, there's something I think I missed. And I finally sat down about seven years ago now and decided I was going to give, I, I had to emulate it, obviously, because the game is insanely expensive on the secondhand market. I don't have a physical copy. But I sat down like, I'm going to play this game. Like, Start to finish, I'm going to give this game an honest shot and see what's genuinely special about it. And I did. And I was like, wow, I was totally 100% completely wrong. And this is even coming from someone when the remake came out on the PS1. I got the remake day one just because mm-hmm. I wanted to support Lunar. I wanted to support working designs, even though I, I always stood by my opinion that the first one was better than the second one. We'll see that that opinion has changed as we go through this episode. but. Uh, I even said at that time, I thought that the Sega CD version was better than the PlayStation 1 version. Now, I have not returned the PlayStation 1 version in, since then, so I don't know if I'd be willing to stand by those words. But when you get to gameplay, I'll explain why. But I, I just remember having this magnificent time with it. And ever since, I've kind of been like almost a member of the cult of Althena myself when it comes to talking about this game. <laughs> don't ask me for money. <laughs> oh, we have a Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm kind of spoiling the ending, but like I've just been blown away by it. I've been so enamored by it, and I'm going to probably gush for however long we talk about this game today, and I'm not afraid (laughs) to say it. So I'm looking forward to that. So with that being said, Corey, 
What's your personal experience with this game? Yeah, so I really loved the first one. I mean, I loved the first one. The first one made me a, a you know, working designs fan, and I was buying every single game that working designs would release like day one from that point. Like after the, after the first game, there is one thing, like one developer that I knew I had to buy everything from. It was it was working designs, uh, and I was so excited for this. It came and. You know, in the lead up to it, I was looking at pictures in magazines. I used to rip uh, pages out of my issues of Game Fan magazine. I would tape them to the wall. Uh, I wish I still had the issues where I ripped the pages out <laughs> because I think it'd be really fun to see what else I ripped out. <laughs> I was just I was so excited about it because basically at that point, I would say that Lunar was my favorite game. You know, it, it hit such a perfect time. You know, I was a, in my early teens and uh, may, I may have just just be started like just became a teenager uh so i was probably 13 i guess when it came out and uh yeah i was just i was so excited and it, you know i was like oh you know i I love the fact that the original was like a love story kind of and you know suddenly i was like like i enjoy that angle to it you know and uh you know i was had this pre-ordered and uh, i picked it up on day one so excited and i don't you know i remember sitting in my after I went and picked it up at Electronics Boutique, I had to go to my school for something. It was, it, I'm pretty sure it was on a day that was not, uh, it was not a school day. It was like, I, it may have been a Saturday. Because back then, you didn't know when games would come out. And it would just, you know, whenever it came into a store, it could be like on a Saturday even. Like the release date could be that day. And uh, you just go and get it. And I remember sitting there. It, it might have been like during homecoming, especially if it was, if, if it was in September. Uh, I just remember sitting in my Plymouth Horizon. They had uh, <laughs> spray painted like, from from my <laughs> from my uh, dad's company that uh, he gave to me, and I had a uh, a tape deck wedged in between the seats because there was no like way to get it into the actual panel. And uh, I remember being just so excited. I had to go there and I had to do something at the school for like hours, so I didn't get to play it until that night. Immediately, I was just. <laughs> Taken back by how difficult it was. But we'll talk about that later on. <laughs> I've only played through the Sega CD one time because of the difficulty, I think. And mm. I've always held it as being kind of scary ever since then because it took me a long time to finish. Yeah, I mean, I played through the complete one time. And, you know, I just, I enjoy how they're kind of crystallized in my memories. Pre-ordered it day one for the Sega <laughs> CD. I think, I think you're the only person I've heard say that. I was just really, really lucky in that, uh, especially looking back on it, like knowing what kind of games I liked, you know, I would, I would pre-order stuff like, you know, I, I've said it many places before, like I've, you know, I got Chrono Trigger on day one because I was just like, I knew that that's the kind of game I liked. And back then, like RPGs were so few and far between that you were like, if you had a system to get one on, you were anticipating it, mm -hmm. you know, especially on the Sega CD. Yeah, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I figured that out a little bit later. I think mm -hmm. once Final Fantasy three came out, Final Fantasy three or six, mm -hmm. you always have to qualify that. But that came out in ninety four, right? And I think I got that early ninety five, and that's I remember getting it for my tenth birthday. So oh, like, okay. I didn't get a lot of these games day day one. That's when like when I was really starting to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So when I'm hearing like people around just a little older than me were interested in these games because that's not something that you saw like the, the it was so niche and as you say like 
they 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 were few and far between. So once you found that genre, uh, mm-hmm. especially before Final Fantasy VII came out, and even after Final Fantasy VII came out, once that hype waned a little bit, it became something that that was kind of an identifier of yeah. that you were part of a community. Like, oh, yeah. I like. Are you excited for Alundra? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, okay, that's my friend. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's automatic. <laughs> they're they're already part of your community. Yeah. And that, that really continued until like halfway through the PS1 generation, I think, because then there was just so many RPGs coming out that mm-hmm. it was basically impossible to keep up. Yeah. yeah. And then I stopped, you know, I would pick and choose what I played. Absolutely. But it, it's kind of cool because I can kind of go back to that time now and say, oh, you know, I really enjoy how simple these are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just kind of nice to play that kind of game. Absolutely. Speaking of simple, uh, well, kind of. Let's get into the plot and, and writing here, which this isn't as complicated as a lot of modern RPGs are, but I'm just going to go over the basics here and then I'll turn it over to Shane about what he thought of the, the plot from what he could experience and what he went over here. So Lunar 2 takes place a thousand years after Silver Star. You start out that you're the protagonist hero and you find out that some destroyer is coming from the Blue Spire. Uh, the Blue Spire is a device that connects the Silver Star, where you live, to the Blue Star, where you have heard that humans came from in the past. And you see this scene happen as part of the you know, kind of prologue, the opening cinematic. Where you see this blue-haired naked woman get sent down to Earth. She doesn't look very cold out uh, in, in the winter, despite the fact she's wearing no clothes, until she does feel cold. But uh, she is very naked and then she wears a, a red gown and she comes down and she meets Hero and then all sorts of hijinks ensued because you meet people who want to capture and kill her in the name of the goddess Althena. So you're already like, okay, I thought the goddess Althena was good. Uh, I don't think this person is bad. What's going on here? A lot of questions ensue. And you're in the same world of the original Lunar, but yeah, a lot has changed. It almost could be a completely different planet. And like the dragons are gone. There's no Alex. There's no null yet. There's no null <laughs> to your knowledge. Uh-huh. There's no null to your knowledge. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's no Alex. There's no Nash. There's no Mia, no Kyle, no Jessica. The four heroes are gone. There's no Dine. Uh, but you will see some familiar faces, of course, if you played the first game. And you will feel right at home. Shane, I'll let you kick this one off because I was about to go on more tangents here. So what were your thoughts? Well, so obviously, I mean, I, I guess the, the the standing caveat with any of these games, right, is that we're we're talking about the the writing as presented by working designs, which is not a hundred percent true to the original source material. Um, they like to add their own flavor, let's say, mm-hmm. and. I guess what's interesting to me is that it seems at least what I've heard is that this is a bit more divisive than I would have thought. Generally speaking, it doesn't, I don't really find anything terribly like offensively bad about their additions. Like you could say that the topical humor is a little off-putting in that it's very it kind of pulls you out of, I guess, the immersion of the game when they start, you know, talking about like Prozac or whatever. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It, it didn't really bother me too much. And to be 
perfectly frank, like I appreciated the addition of some of the levity that they sort of introduced into the dialogue. There are some genuinely funny, you know, one-liners that the characters have that I don't believe were necessarily part of the original script. By and large, I actually generally appreciate what they've done with it. Um, there's definitely some cringy things. Although, what I'd like to know, and I don't know if either of you know this, because I- I'm not sure who to lay the blame on, if it's working designs or if it's just the original developers. I have a sneaking suspicion it's working designs. But did either of you notice how, like, just relentlessly horny the dialogue is in this game? <laughs> uh, mm. A little bit. I mean, I guess I didn't play all the way through it, but I, you know, I... I'm like, oh, there's like, there's some, there's some homophobic jokes in there for sure. And it's just like a lot of, uh, like I could, I could see that a little bit. It's just like, okay. So, and actually I, the, the subtitle of this episode is, is in reference to this specific NPC because it just caught me so off guard. I was just like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> when you go to Vane or the, what is left of Vane, I suppose, in sort of like off in the corner where you might not ever actually see her. There's no real reason to go where she's kind of hanging out, but I try to explore everything because I don't want to miss anything. There's this, I believe she's a black haired woman that is just like hanging out in a little corner of vein and you go and talk to her and she says that she's uh, a visitor that she's come to vein because she heard that, you know, this, this was like a happening place and you keep, talking to her you just keep letting her talk she's really just talking at you you don't really have much input and um you find out very quickly that her motivation for coming to vain is that she was in search of and i quote some spank shops (laughs) oh i did not i did not see that part yep and i was like um i'm sorry a what now with most of the NPCs, which I do appreciate, if you talk to them again, they will have different mm-hmm. dialogue. Now, it's usually only like two or three and then they'll just cycle. But like if you talk to her again a little bit later on, she's basically like, man, this place is for squares. This place sucks. Like there, I, there isn't a single spank shop to be found in this entire town. She's like, maybe, I don't know. It's just full of like these stuffy priests or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'd like to be spanked. I could try that out. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Why is this here? (laughs) Good for her. And that is just one example. That's just one example. Like there's, there's this, that dialogue is just like peppered throughout almost everything in this game where it's just like, "Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? Like, let's just be, we're, we're just a little perverted just all the time. Why can't it be wholesome? Like Dragon Quest and Puff Puff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just like I'm used to this, okay? Like I'm I'm used to that happening, especially in these these older games. Um but like it the the reason I'm bringing it up now is because it 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 stood out even to me in that I was just like, mm. man, there are so many NPCs just like throwaway dialogue that's just like just so just horny stick bonk like why what are you doing like the woman in Maribia or whatever who's just like oh man I'd Leo's so busy he doesn't have time to find a woman I'd love to show him the ropes tee hee hee okay 
they have a lot to say about Leo in this game, they which do. probably probably wouldn't cut muster today. But oh, yeah. they they certainly do have a lot to say about Leo. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah, I, you know, looking back on it, I think that you know, Tri said a really good thing in our year end video that we released because he just played through Lunar Silver Star, Lunar Silver Star story completely mm-hmm. uh, for the first time, and it was his first experience with a working designs game, and he didn't especially care for the uh, the translation. But I think that it's important to think back when they were doing this stuff, like nobody had really done anything to this, to like that extreme level with like, like, like customizing the dialogue, like localizing it to a point where it's just reads as if you're just like talking to friends, I guess. He said that, you know, if, if working designs didn't do that, then perhaps today we would not know not to do that. You know, developers or translation translators would not know not to do that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like that's because now things are uh, a lot more uh, like more in line with what they translate, like what they're actually saying, you know, but like, yes. and slightly, you know, like not really altered that much. But I think it's just important to realize that they, I guess, in a way, like they had become like known for doing that stuff. So they had to uh, like they really just took all like all the inhibitors off and went crazy with it. And, you know, like I've said before, I, I don't know if I said it during the last uh, last year's recording, but uh, I mean, Popful Mail is the only game where it kind of works completely. It works. Uh, it works really well. Popful Mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it fit. It fits that world. And here is just kind of like, you know, there's uh, I don't know. It, it does feel embarrassing at times, but I think that they are very good is like is when it when it matters they translate the stuff is like is is translated in a way that is heartfelt Mm -hmm. you know like there's many points in this game where i did does it matter if we if we're spoiling things at this point no no go ahead spoil i wanted to say like i even wanted to say i'm probably going to spoil the hell of this game i don't mean to but let's spoil it okay i mean there's parts where uh you know like Nal when he sees like the recording of uh of luna and he's just gets really sad. And it's, it's kind of sad to think back that, you know, he had to watch all of his friends, all those characters from the first game, like grow old and die so that he could carry on this message for Lucia, who is eventually going to arrive. The way that he talks about it, he's like, you know, I think back to, you know, I, you know, I think back to them all the time. And now my promise to Luna is, is finally complete. You know, it's just mm-hmm. in, in moments like that where I don't, I think that's where their localization really shined because it just, it feels like genuine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It feels authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no. And, and for the record, I, I don't want to say that, like, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that their translation and their, um, let's go with creative liberties are, are inherently a bad thing. Like, I actually think that as off the wall as some of their throwaway dialogue is like, some random NPC talking about how if they were going to throw away a bunch of money, you might as well just call them Clinton. I'm like, wow, topical. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, you know, I think it gives it its own personality for, for, for better or worse. But I mean, I, I think it actually helps it stand out mm-hmm. from a lot of other RPGs and, and things like that, where they take a much more sort of like straight faced approach to things uh, being a little bit more self-serious. So 
I don't even necessarily mind it. I, I just thought it was hilarious how many times they, especially with some of the dialogue that they got away with in, you know, whatever, 1994. Uh, I'm just like, yeah, that, I don't think that would fly today. But here's, here's my piece, Paul, say about this. And first of all, I, you're right, Corey. What Tri said in, in that episode about the Lunar Silver Star story complete, how he put it, that was fantastically put. Uh, if you like or love working designs, translations, what they did at the time was was unique. I think the only game that had really put a good spin on it and in terms of an RPG like this prior to this game's release that I can think about. I won't say only game. There's a series of games because Woolsey did a did a really good job with the translations for Final Fantasy six mm-hmm. uh, Chrono Trigger and, and a couple other games. I thought I think those are really well done. And Earthbound was fantastically yeah. done. Mm. Uh, yeah. So there, there were examples of games that were being very well localized for an American audience. Right. Is that working designs took it that extra step where I will defend working designs is that in the actual main plot, the main story of this game. And I will say this about Lunar and I'll say this, uh, the original Lunar, I'll say this pretty much about any of their games. It's fine. Like the intentionals all there. They just try to add a little bit of humor, Americanize it to a certain extent, maybe add a little bit more context, not make it as dry. I'm 100% fine with that. I think when they add that to the main story and the only reason I say this is because I looked at what the original have said on like the cutting room floor and stuff like that. And I don't have all the dialogue, but the changes they made, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I understand why they made that change. But like what Shane was saying, when when I'm talking to an NPC and the NPC is talking about the cult of Athena, it's like, if I wanted to throw my cash at bums, you could call me Clinton. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that they were thinking about how it was going to age, though. You know, of course I think, you're not. I, I think of course they're, you're not. They're thinking people have told us we get the biggest reaction from people who like this stuff. So we're going to keep on giving that to them. Sure. And it's like, you know, they're, they're not thinking how it's going to look at be look, looked at in, you know, 20 years, I guess. Yeah. They're probably making it for their they're probably making it for their friends and buddies. They're making it for the people around them. They mm-hmm. probably didn't think who's going to talk to this character anyway. Like these were probably all fun things they were doing for themselves. I'd love to talk to Victor Ireland one day and just pick yeah, his brain too. and 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 see what he would think about this. But like references to Barney and all that stuff like that. But some of it's like a time capsule. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh yeah, okay. Like the these are like little Easter eggs for me that I get a little kick out of. And yeah, is everything in here acceptable nowadays? Would it would it pass must? Probably not. Not a lot of it, but at the same time, like these are the this is the era I grew up in, so I understand the context that's presented in, and mm-hmm. it's not entirely bothersome to me because that was just, I guess, the style at the time. I'm not saying that they should go and remake <laughs> this thing line by line. Put, put an onion on our belt. <laughs> yeah, I will say that the 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 book titles in the library in vain are just absolute fucking gold. I I loved <laughs> yeah. all of those. Yeah. I had a great time coming up with those. I'm sure. I'm sure they did. Like, what what can we call this? Like, again, it looks like this is what I love about it. it because it looks like the localization team was having fun. Yeah, they were enjoying themselves localizing this game and they were having pride in the opportunity to bring this game over the United States, a game that would have been left in Japan if it wasn't for them. Yeah. Uh, a game like Luna that would have been left in Japan if it wasn't for them. So I'm glad that. I when I can tell that the people that are making a game, localizing a game, doing anything with the game are ha- are enjoying themselves while they do it. I enjoy myself 
while I'm in, enjoying the game. I, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying myself while I'm playing the game. I, I can appreciate it because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're not all going to make the, like, the same decisions uh, and, and what we determine is correct or not. So if you're having fun doing it, yeah, some people might have a problem with it. That's fine. But I, I get a kick out of it and I love it. Not everything I think is great. But I think like if you just want to play this game straight, you don't care about the working design isms from the NPCs. And that's where all the working design isms are in this game. You'll be fine because I guess we'll transition into the plot proper. The plot proper here is fantastic. Yeah, I think um, when I tell people what the plot of Lunar Eternal Blue is, I tell them it's the anime version of Final Fantasy X. Which a lot mm. of people, final, they already think Final Fantasy X is anime enough. But no, this is more anime than <laughs> Final Fantasy X. Because essentially the plot of the game is you're trying to go find, like, find God so you can destroy the devil. Yeah. Which essentially is the same plot of Final Fantasy X. You're on a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. It's just not as structured as Final Fantasy X is. And a lot of the same underlying themes that are in Final Fantasy X are present in Lunar Eternal Blue. You know, the questioning of, of the religious structure, uh, what people are being told by the, the, the people that are controlling them, how they're controlling them, what they're, you know, all this, uh, how society is being managed. And a lot of those themes that, that a lot of people associate with RPGs today, like, oh, you go kill God. That's present in, in Lunar, but uh, because, you know, Zophar is is for all intents and purposes, a God, but Mm -hmm. he's like the devil. He's the anti-God. But the difference is in lunar eternal blue. God's already dead. Like it has been. She died. Yeah. For a thousand, almost a thousand years. God's dead. And so wrestling with that and, and bringing in, bringing that all into, to context and what that means. and, And that even makes like the world even more complicated. And the, the current church or the cult, which I wish they wouldn't call it the cult because it's a little on the nose that you already know that they're bad. Like, come on, guys. But it already it already shows that this structure is corrupt, mm-hmm. even down to the fact that the, the person who they're calling Althena because they're saying Althena's alive. She looks like the pope. So, like, it's a little heavy handed and a little on the nose. But I I don't think that RP video games even RPGs were really doing that sort of commentary, at least as well as what Lunar was doing at this time with maybe the exception of final fantasy six. Yeah. Yeah. I I'd agree with that. And you know, there's so many things in there that are, uh, if you played the last one, like, you know, that that's not Althena when you, when you meet her, you know, you know, you're right. You have additional information and you know that, uh, it's not going the way that, like, you know, things that the characters don't know, I guess. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff happens in this game. It goes a lot of places. Many characters go through giant changes, you know, like they go through like physical changes. Two characters go through, uh, Lucia go like, you know, she changes clothes, becomes like a, yep. or like a, like a normal person, I guess. And then Jean goes from being a dancer to being like a martial artist. Like just a lot of stuff happens with the different characters. I really appreciate that because a lot of times you don't see those kind of changes like like that sweeping of a change, especially in games of that time, you know, sweeping changes of like how a character is and plays didn't happen very often in RPGs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that level of of character growth is fantastic. I mean, it it really does help to get you invested in, in not only the characters, but just the story overall. And I feel like we would be remiss if we did not mention perhaps the most important character uh, transition, and that is the the awesome and magnificent Mystere. and i love that he stays in character the whole time whole time yeah yep (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about i have no idea who mystere is and i i'm pretty sure he returns later on and then he does it again he never admits that he's still it's leo i think he does that in complete i didn't experience that in the sega cd version i because i remember that too but yeah yeah I just love that his disguise is like showing up in like a shitty spirit Halloween mask and everyone's just like, Leo, we know it's you. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I also really appreciate it's like the little things, right? Like I I appreciate and this kind of bleeds a little bit into the next section, I guess. But I just really appreciate that, like his his sprite changes and like his (laughs) victory pose even changes. He just stands there with his cape flapping in the background. Oh, the little attention to detail. I love it. Yeah. yeah. But but more to the characters. And I, I want to get to the characters here. The characters in your party, each of them having their arcs mm-hmm. and each of their arcs being very well developed. Yeah, that's that's definitely not something you saw in a lot of games at this time. A lot of games, if you go into it, even even like leading up to the PS2 era, you could argue today they would introduce a character, put them in your party, give them a little arc, and then they just forget about them for the rest of the game. That's yeah. not what happens in Lunar 2. Every single party member is a party member. Even the way the game flows, as you get your party members in order, then you start meeting their like nemesis in order. And like Leo, like Leo's Leo, of course, because he eventually does join your party. Yeah. But then you meet Lun, you know, for for Gene. And Gene's like, I want to find myself. So you meet Lun. And Lun's like, oh, you gotta go say from the Blue Dragon cult. And you're like, oh, I saved it. And like, well, you better continue on. And you're knowing like, yeah, Lund's, Lund's, kind, of, Lund's kind of a douchebag. <laughs> then you meet Borgen, which, you know, in, in today's world of like fat shaming, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes there that, uh, yeah, Bor- <laughs> Borgen. His fucking tower, <laughs> the, the guard is just like, I hate it when he comes back because we got to grease the door to get his fat ass yeah. inside. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a little funny. It is. <laughs> but I think like Borgen, Borgen's like this. I don't know. It seems like an opera. They kind of made him feel misunderstood when you look into it. Like he doesn't yeah. seem like as bad as they make him out to be. It's just he's he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. He has good intentions, but he's just a massive dick. Yeah. In 2001, I went to E3 and that was before uh, Lunar, Compl- Lunar 2 Complete came out mm-hmm. at the Working Designs booth they had somebody dress up like in a full Borgen costume. <laughs> and I got my picture taken with them. And it says, you know, don't forget that the camera adds 500 pounds, <laughs> which, which is funny. But I would later talk to uh, Greg Seward, who does the, uh, the great channel generation 16. He's part of the uh, player one podcast. Mm, yeah. And he's like, Oh, I was talking about that. And he's like, I was at that same E3 and I, I got my picture taken with him too. And I'm like, well, did it say the same thing? And he's like, no, mine says, I touched his Rubenesque hands, uh, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I don't even know what it, what it, what it means, but it's very funny. And that, I don't forget about that. 
Like I can't forget about that. Oh wow. That's amazing. That's a that's a direct that's reference stuff. to a line in the game. That's great. <laughs> oh, they talk about his Rubenesque hands. Yeah, they he, do. He, oh, okay. he calls them his yeah, he says that. He talks about his Rubenesque hands. <laughs> that's great. Suddenly it all makes sense. It all makes sense to me now. <laughs> well, it's rounded off as well. You have Ron Farr and his story with Maori, mm-hmm. who is his former lover, now a member of the cult of Altina, who's had their her mind corrupted. And just everything really comes together well. Even like Galleon gets the redemption arc. Oh, yeah. His 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 appearance is like, oh, my God, he's going to kill us. But the way Galleon comes back around and starts to side with your characters, I don't think it's adequately well explained, to be honest with you. Mm. But if you like sit down, you try to think about it and piece together on, on your own. And I do think the game does allow for quite a bit of that. Then you start to see, OK, I can understand why Galleon would do this. Yeah, it's one of those mentalities of. I did this to kind of take over the world and be its ruler because he loves the world and Zophar just wants to destroy it. Right. And he's not about that and doesn't make him a good guy. In a way, he's kind of training <laughs> the party to yes. like, fight him, to fight mm. Zophar. Yeah. When I played this, you know, like I, w- I was excited about it being a direct sequel to the first game. But knowing what I know about rpgs at the time that if they had a direct sequel and it was like oh it's a thousand years later like my my point of reference for that is like the fantasy star games which are all a thousand years apart barely had any references between them at least until the fourth game Mm -hmm. where it would maybe drop a little like reference here and there but it was very very few and far between so i was expecting something similar here but there is like a lot of stuff from the first game referenced here or uh, given like new arcs, like, you know, Galleon given this redemption arc, uh, just like, like locations getting to go to those places. I think, I think it was a mistake to say it's been a, a thousand years. They said like 200 years, it would make more sense. I think a lot, a lot more can happen in a thousand years. Yeah. than, than uh, I think in the happened. Japanese version, it was like 800 or 600 or 500. It was less. It I think in the Japanese version, it may sure. have been like, yeah. Uh, but even just, you know, revisiting place like Vane that's like there and it's like kind of overgrown now. And it's just, uh, it's, it's cool. It's cool to go to these places and see in Moribia again. And it's like run by, you know, an ancestor of, uh, of, of Ramus. Like, it's just yeah. it's lots of little cool things like that. And then you get Nal. I was not expecting, you know, like him to be as big of a part in it. And it was just, it's just very cool. And it's kind of like a kid, but not a kid, you know, it's. It's cool. I also love how the game rips your heart out with the ending, like the initial ending. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's everyone's happy. We defeated Zophar. And then like it's like this is love story because it ultimately is a love story. Mm-hmm. And it's a coming of age story. I think I said this about the original Lunar as well. I just think it does it way better. Yes. In terms of how it how it tells its story. Uh, like game arts learned a ton in terms of how they did their storytelling. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in between the two games, like a lot. And then they get to the end and it's like, oh, we're going to spend some time at Grandpa Gwyn's house is the first place you start out. And we're just going to just settle down and maybe we'll explore a little bit and just have a good old life. Mm-hmm. And then Lucia is just like, bye. And she just leaves. Yeah. And just goes. And you as the player are like, that's not like, am I going to get a sequel? That's not how the game's supposed to end. <laughs> this is not a happy ending. This is horrible. Yeah. And then the game's like, hey, actually, we have about five to six hours more gameplay for you mm-hmm. uh, and to do an epilogue because Zophar's already gone. So now you're on a different journey. I like how they separated it. 
that the main story is already over. This additional part of the game is for closure. This isn't the story. This is for ending closure. Yes. Because you get to revisit all the places and see what everybody's up to now after a while afterwards. It's it's great. It's like uh, the Lord of the Ring, uh, the Return of the King. It has, you know, an eternal ending for you for for the eternal blue star part. But the the end the the ending there for for the epilogue is is short, but it's it's so appropriate. Oh, it, it's it's it, one of it my favorite it. endings of all time. I mean, I I yeah, love that. It's ending. brilliant. Uh, I would occasionally go back to it and just watch it because I had a save game like right there, like as you're talking to everybody uh, before that. You know, so you'd mentioned that you were annoyed as a kid uh, that hero does not become a dragon man. Do you feel yes. like? you're still annoyed by that because I think that it's like, I really appreciate that. I appreciated it at the time too, because it, they avoid going through it. It's like, now we're going to do all this stuff again. Like, I think it's like they, like the developers, like we don't want to do that. again. We don't have any interest in doing that. And I, I like the idea that they intentionally go out of their way to make sure that they never even make you think that you're going down that path, even though you re- fight all the like visit all the dragons and stuff but it's not you would later find out that Althena is no longer alive so there's no dragon mass no need for a dragon master right no, not only am i not annoyed by it i appreciate it mm-hmm. i think that it it makes for a better storytelling device i think it is better storytelling it's more mature yeah storytelling because it is defying your expectations yeah. Because what, what you're seeing at this point in a lot of Japanese RPGs, Dragon Quest was still the premier RPG of the day. And we have sung the praises of Dragon Quest V over on COG 92. I think Dragon Quest V is still a phenomenal game. Mm-hmm. But by and large, most people were borrowing Dragon Quest formula, which is the hero is the hero and that's the hero. And they're the, the, they're the legendary hero of all time. Yeah. Now, Hero does have those elements to him. Hero is the name of the protagonist, of course, not just Hero. But he he just always comes off as a regular guy. Yeah. Just getting through the game with his friends who also seem like regular people. Mm-hmm. There's no it doesn't feel like there's this, you know, profound destiny for him and his companions. Like Ron Farr is a drunk gambler. Mm-hmm. Gene is a Gene is a dancer in a traveling, you know, gypsy caravan. Lamina is a broken down, you know, grifter. You know, this is this your your party is like this hodgepodge mix of just people you normally wouldn't expect to be of you know any real worth or value mm-hmm. in your traditional RPG as a hero's party, but they are because of you know the power of friendship as as cringe as that might be. But it's true. Uh, but they they do it really well, and they don't say they don't really shove it down your throat in a lot of the way that other RPGs do when they try to emphasize the power of friendship angle. Yeah. They like at the very end, they kind of do. It's like, I couldn't have done it without you guys. I really couldn't. You're all very special. Okay. Got it. Yeah. They're the power, like the uh, determination of humanity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a little cringe, but not in 1995. You yeah, know, it's and, fine. And you know, for a, you know, teenager in 1995, it's like, it's fine. It gives it gives you hope for, for the for the future, like <laughs> yeah. But it also makes sense. God is dead. Yeah. God is saying, go off and and do what what you should do. I have faith in you as people. You cannot rely on me anymore. So the theme of humanity is very prevalent. 
whether or not you think their delivery is cringe or not, that's that's the theme of the game. That's what they're trying to get across. Is it yeah. a little heavy handed at points? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, especially for a 1995 game, 1994 game, it's almost without peer. Again, Final Fantasy VI withstanding mm-hmm. and a lot of the themes that it was trying to nail on, uh, especially for being more of an anime type game, uh, because anime has its own theming like this. It just nails it. It it 100 percent nails it. I I don't know what else to say. It's it's brilliant. You know, in those characters, you know, kind of going back, I guess, a little bit to the translation a bit. uh, Something that I appreciate about Lunar 1 and Lunar 2 is the way that the characters talk to each other. Mm -hmm. A lot of their development comes from them talking to each other. Yes. And you, you get the sense of them like actually like being really good friends and just busting on each other, busting each other's chops as in a friendly way. You know, and I think that that's another testament to like, I don't, I don't know if that stuff is, is close to how it is in the Japanese version or not, but I do appreciate that because you don't really see that. And I, I think that you didn't, especially didn't see it in games at the time where, you know, the character, like once the characters were in the party, like they just, you know, only talk to whoever you're talking to. Did Tales of Fantasia do that? Yes, they, they, I don't, I don't know if Fantasia did, but I know that at least starting with Symphonia, they had. They had like the skits where you're the overworld yeah. and they would talk to each other. But I'm not sure if it was before that. It may have been like in Destiny. I don't know if Fantasia though. Yeah. I think it was in the PlayStation version of Fantasia, but okay. I don't know if it was in the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And that that would be an important difference. But right. Yeah, that the banter, the back and forth banter, especially Ruby. Ruby, yeah. Ruby's the Ruby's the glue. Yeah. Which is essentially your null for this game. <laughs> she she's the glue of the party. She's like the most contemporary Valley Girl kind of nineties talking character but she's probably also the most important one you cannot have this game without ruby right yeah her uh her unrequited love for hero is just (laughs) fantastic (laughs) she's like i'd get your name tattooed on my butt yeah (laughs) so there is one other thing that i wanted to kind of throw into the mix regarding like the the plot and, and writing and what have you and it's something that I think could probably be pretty easily overlooked, especially now and kind of going back to it, because it, to some degree, I think we sort of expect some of these things, given how storytelling has kind of matured in the gaming space. But I do really want to give credit to the game uh, insofar as being able to weave all of these character subplots together in a way where they all naturally progress and intertwine without making it feel like you have to go off and do these like side questy things to sort of like give proper attention to each of the characters own like subplots like everything is just sort of organically woven together and so each of their little you know through lines continues to progress as the main plot does and it never feels like you have to be like you have to like break off to go do this thing and then come back and i i really appreciate that that is absolutely 100 percent true especially in a you know like having played final fantasy 16 you know it's it's which has a lot of stuff like that where you know you got to break off and just do like dumb shit for you know, several <laughs> hours. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just really nice that, you know, that it's, that it's in the narrative, like the, the narrative, like it, everything comes together naturally. Throughout yeah. the progression. There are only two side quests in this game that I can think of, which is the, the red dragon cave and the dragon's nest. 
or the Red Lion's Cave and the Dragon's Nest, which aren't even narratively involved. You just go there and you get items. I don't even remember that. Or you could just give up on this entire world changing quest and just become a wine delivery boy. <laughs> That's true. And get caught in that for, infinite loop for, t- for <laughs> 10 silver a pop. Infinite money cheat right there. <laughs> <laughs> but even, you know, I just, I would, I just wanted to like, I just watched the cutscene before we recorded this, you know, the, uh, galleons like final words you know like before he disappears and it's just it's just like gives me like the goosebumps like even years later knowing how knowing the history of galleon and dine you know like they were both once best friends Mm. and then you know everything happened with the first game and it's just nice to see him get that end cap now he can he can he can rest in peace yeah yeah for sure yeah because Galleon, Galleon was a good character before he was yeah. corrupted. Yeah. Right. He, one he, of the Dragon he Masters. He did believe in good. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was one of the Dragon Masters party. Yeah. But they never really go into that. But this is one of those things where the game allows you to piece these things together, especially if you played the, played the previous one. Yeah. That's a reward to the player. Exactly. And it's smart. And that's something that I, I had listed in the miscellaneous segment. Or I may, uh, maybe it's like in the miscellaneous segment we of the document you had going about how there's certain events in this that are more special if you played the the original Sega CD game, and if you played several Silver Star Story first, then a lot of that stuff doesn't seem as special because I don't know they like like set it up a little bit like oh you know uh, seeing. The, the specific thing that I thought of is that uh, in Lunar 2, you see Null as a full dragon, you know, a grown-up dragon. And in the Sega CD game, he never becomes a full, like, white dragon, at least that I remember. I don't think so. I mean, I might be getting them crossed because I know in Complete, he, be, he flies you around places. Exactly. exactly. And, but seeing Null all grown up and having never seen him Growing up, it felt like a lot more special. Like, oh, this is just like, look at my boy. Look, look at how grown up he's become. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, it's just nice to see that kind of stuff. It's also like if you played the original, much like Ruby's kind of the glue that holds everyone together in this game. Nal was the glue that held everyone together in in Silver Star. So when you see him again, and you you see that white dragon come out at Taven's Peak at, the, at that. Like when you get there and then it turns into a person, you know, it's Null, and you see the the shape of the sword and Salthina's sword, you know, he's carrying it. And yeah, it's like a lot of things he says, a lot of the mentions you said, like you said, when you meet Luna and he's just reminiscing, it's just if you've played it before, all those things hit and they hit hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, it's not one of those it's not one of those games where the first one's mandatory, but it's like it's highly recommended because Mm -hmm. if you don't play the first one prior to this. It even even if you don't think the first one is nearly as good as this one, you are missing on so much yeah. in terms of its narrative yeah. that you're doing yourself a great disservice. And it makes if you played the original and you play this, it makes the first game a better game. By far. You could play the first game as like a, a prequel if you yeah. play this one first. Right. And it 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 makes the it makes it an entire experience. Yeah. Which probably is why they never made a third one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had that written down, too, is that I I don't think that they had any reason to, like, make another one. They ended everything perfectly. Like, 
There's no reason to carry anything on. Mm-hmm. You know? Which is why Dragon Song never exists. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never came out. It's a shame. Maybe it could have been good. We'll never know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I saw maybe something they were working on it and, yeah. and it got a, like the, the, the source code fell in like a, like a, uh, like an oven and melted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, the code fell in an oven. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that old chestnut. It's I think I may have. The only thing I could think of. <laughs> Somebody like spilled acid all over it, like a beaker full of acid. I think we've gushed over the story quite a bit. I think you can tell that we love it. Uh, there's there's a lot here. And if you haven't played it, I don't think we spoiled it too much. I think the experience that you can get out of this is is still going to be genuine. The the, the entire experience is in the way that the characters interact, the dialogue there. And it, like, we can't do that, obviously. So definitely uh, go check this out. If, the, if you enjoy the story, go go take a look at the story, because it is one of the most mature plots that was presented to the player at the time mm-hmm. uh, in the 16 bit era. So highly, highly, highly recommend it. If you couldn't already tell by the way you've been talking about it. I think at this point, it's time to get into the gameplay. Corey, I, I think. You should start this one off because you said this game was was extremely challenging for you. Dude, this game is was so hard at the time. Ooh. It's a mixture between like whatever stat changes working designs did. The 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 fact that you can't save as often as you might like to, at least early on. That first night that I got the when I got this and I spent the entire first evening and like I barely made it to the like through the part going to the blue spire barely and i was like oh my god like this is so much harder than the last one to an almost un unfun degree mm-hmm. you know especially because the, the the last one was not a difficult game if you just like if you just fought all the battles you'd be fine and here man there are some really really tough bosses you know talking about talk about borgen yeah you know i i remember staying home from school sick sick in, in quotes and i spent the entire day trying to beat him and i finally beat him that night like i tried to beat him for probably 15 hours i don't know i knew not to run away from every battle like i was definitely fighting all the battles at that point but it was man the game is so tough and then you know the final battle against so far was just as difficult like that one took me multiple days but it was worth it you know but in in my mind, like that, like the Borgen fight and the Zophar fight, among the scariest boss battles I can think of that I've of any game I've played. And I don't, I, uh, I don't have that level of dedication. Like, and the and this <laughs> this is coming from someone who's played all the Dark Souls games. Like, if I had to spend fifteen hours on a boss, I nah nah, I'd be done. I don't even know if it was that hard. You know, like I say a lot that that I wonder if like if i'm better at games now like of just like understanding how to play it better and how to better prepare for like fights and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Uh, i wonder if it's like as hard as i remember it being but that is definitely the reason i never replayed it you know Hmm. because i just i was like oh my gosh like i got so many other things that i'd like to play (laughs) and you know spending days trying to beat borgen again and just to kind of recap what this game is like if if the gameplay is the same as the first lunar it's kind of a mix mm-hmm. of Final Fantasy and how it's set up that you have characters on one side and the enemies on the other sometimes or you get back attacked. 
And then, but it's turn-based like Dragon Quest, but characters move towards the enemies like you would see in Xanadu or Ultima. Mm-hmm. So um, I know I just threw a lot. Of, Xanadu and Ultima might be a little bit more obscure to to the listener. Go check those out. But like they they move across the screen and positioning is important and everything like that. I will. I'll have to agree with you in terms of the the, the North American version. Mm-hmm. Like those two boss fights are brutal, and the beginning of this game is brutal. Yeah. And because on one hand, it's trying to say, hey, here's this magic system, which I love, by the way. And this is one of the reasons I don't like to play the PS1 version is because it has this magic experience system that you can level up the magic at your own will. I think working designs change the MP cost to kind of just kind of rig it and and screw you over just a little bit more. You know, it's not Vi levels of screw you, but it's in it's in the ballpark. And. Uh, like it costs a lot to level up this these magic systems, but at the same time, by your by the time you're level ten, it costs 150 magic points just to save the game. And the game, it, like when you're you're facing these sharks, the very beginning of the game, they're brutalizing you. Yeah, like they are just wrecking your shit. And then you get into the tower with Grandpa Gwyn. I remember that first boss, and like you know how there's scripted boss fights in RPGs where you're supposed to die, and there's this giant thing swinging this. This mace around. You thought was- I was like, oh, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to die here, right? Yeah. And like, no, <laughs> no, you're supposed to beat this. Yeah. So there are instances in this game. Borgen is a very, very, very tough boss fight. I thought, I thought Zophar was at least manageable because there was a, like, you're in a final dungeon. You're getting the experience and magic mm-hmm. points that you should be at that point in order to fight him. But Borgen is kind of like the difficulty curve just jumps and there's a while where the game just puts you through this dry spell of of magic experience points and experience points. It just doesn't give you anything mm-hmm. like comparatively to previous points in the game. The, the the ebb and flow of how this game rewards you in terms of progression, even in because I played the unworked and unworking designs version of this game, like taking away and adding stuff that they altered. Mm-hmm. Even in that version, like the, the ebb and flow of it is just very wonky. And I, that that does deserve some criticism. There are times that you're in an area and enemies like early on will give you 750 magic experience points per battle. And then you get into the next area. Oh, and the experience points are like 500 experience points per battle. Like, oh, wow, like I'm going to be jumping. And then the very next area is like 200 and 300 and you're <laughs> fighting tougher enemies. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just no rhyme or reason to it or enemies like. It'll have like this Mega Man effect where you're going to have to be punished before you learn how to appropriately attack them or, or waste a turn. Like there's an enemy that um, it's later on. It might even be in Zophar's Tower where if you attack them, you're going they're an illusion. So they're just you're not going to hit them. So you have to hit them with magic. But if you're trying to conserve magic, you're going to just naturally attack because Gene and Hero, they their base attack is, is decent enough. But you realize, oh, no, I have to use my magic attacks against this guy. And there might be two or three of them. And if you don't hit them, and you've got the proper items, they do a day's attack, which will cause your characters to attack your other characters. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of trial and error. And there is a lot of formulas that you just get get used to in yeah. terms of, oh, hero's going to use post sword because post sword is four magic points and does a ton of damage. And Ron Farr is just going to keep on casting his all party litany mm-hmm. uh, because you don't know what the bosses are going to do, even though they... I will. One thing that is awesome, bosses do very well signal what they're about to do so you Mm -hmm. can prepare pretty easily. But then it comes down to what's the party turn order and what's everyone's agility and what are they going to do? It does become formulaic 
in a sense. It does become rather basic, and at some points it becomes a war of attrition. <sighs> I think it balances out for the most part that it's manageable, even though there are certain places that if you're not properly prepared can be just total walls. I think that's I think that's a fair way to put it. See, that's that's really interesting that that's that's your take on it because I I was actually coming into this with a very different thoughts about about the the gameplay mechanics. I from from a party perspective, I actually really enjoy what this game does because to me I felt like it did not everything, but it did most things right in that I always felt like every one of my party members had a purpose and I don't always oh, yeah. feel that way in RPGs, but obviously particularly party-based RPGs. Cause a lot of the time you'll get stuck in this rut, right? Of like, Oh, well this character is a pure caster. And so if I don't want to burn all their MP, then I guess they're going to bonk things with their fucking stick for like five <laughs> damage. And that's a waste. So then they end up just defending the whole time or whatever, and they're dead weight. And I never really had to do that uh, because of some, you know, I think intelligent design decisions, right? Like having the the staff or um, your caster also just have the ability built in, like baked into the weapons so that you can always be basically you're getting a free cantrip if I'm going to use some D&D terminology, but you basically can just cast that all the time and she's at least doing something useful if you don't want to burn your limited mana pool resources mm -hmm. and and even and this even applies to healers like for ronfar a lot of the times if you have a pure like white mage style character that that's it right you're pigeonholed and this applies to anything like i play healers primarily in mmos so i'm used to this where you're just a heal bot and you don't do anything else. But at least with that inclusion of the one litany that he has, that's basically a um, like a vampiric ability, right? It's like a, a priest litany or shining litany or whatever yeah, it's called. And it yeah. steals health. So it does damage to the enemies and also gives your whole party some healing in the process. Like he's still an active participant in every turn in a battle. And so... I thought that by and large, I thought the parties party members were actually really well balanced. Oh, I agree. I, I, I agree. I'm just saying there are places in the game that are obscenely tough. Sure. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you were just the party you're talking about, about it kind of becoming formulaic. I think that's I would almost say to a certain degree, that's almost inevitable with any game of this. Ilk, oh, sure. Really? Um, but I, I actually thought it was a little less so with eternal blue than some other, you know, more traditional RPGs I've played just because each, each toolkit that your characters have to work with are diverse enough that they're always doing something useful and you have different approaches to different situations. Like I knew that. Well, first of all, Battalion Sword is fucking busted because that thing is amazing. <laughs> and if you just want to clear like groups of like trash enemies, Battalion Sword is A plus 10 out of 10 would cast again. And then, you know, in, in other instances where you only have like one or two enemies, then your strategy, you know, can change. Um, so, no, overall, like I, I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with you. 
but I just wanted to point out that comparatively to like other even like contemporaneous RPGs I feel like Eternal Blue handled their party mechanics like particularly well I agree no 100% agree I, I agree as well Ron Fark can also act as a really good attacker as well Yes, he can. He can hit hard, very hard, like a D and D cleric, except more useful. <laughs> he he got that kind of big a, bonk stick. He does. I kind of I appreciate the fact that you you never have any control over Lucia. Mm. She's kind yeah. of just doing her thing, you know, for as long as she's in your party. I mean, and she's in your party for most of the game. In the beginning, I hated that the fact she was in her party and I wanted her to die <laughs> because she <laughs> siphoned experience points. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's it's and she would just run away. Yeah. It, and it's funny, too, because like on one hand, there are a lot of instances where it's like it's like a nice little bonus. Right. Because you don't you have yeah. no agency over it. So like if she just happens to decide she wants to cast a, a fucking bomb ass AOE, then you're just like, hell yeah. But then on the other yeah. side of things, yeah, you're just like in this really tough fight and she's just like peace. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I will say too, er, the earlier parts of the game is where that party diversity really sticks out and using your abilities to your advantage. Because by the end, like in the beginning part of the game, like the first third, first half of the game, I remember using Gene's abilities like needle step and confuse a lot more. Brute force wasn't necessarily going to win the day. You had to freeze them and isolate enemies throughout the playing field. Mm. By the end of the game, just because Gene can attack three times and does crits almost half of the time, those unique abilities that she has with her dance abilities, they and the rest of her stuff, like all of her blue dragon abilities, I didn't find particularly useful just compared to her fighting. Maybe Hadouken was the most useful one, which I love, by the way. I love the fact that they they called it Hadouken. I don't know if it's that in the Japanese edition. And like your little voice sample there sounds like that's what she's saying, too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But like, I miss the fact that she had these abilities that would cause status effect to enemies that eventually just become rather useless. Yeah. And that's that's what's sad, because that party balance is just you're right. Like, oh, this enemy's giving me a lot of trouble. And if I don't freeze them, they're going to crit me and I'm going to like have devastating damage and I need 10 MP to heal my entire party. So I got to help Ron far out and, and keep this enemy from draining my healers MP. So yeah, you would do that and freeze the enemy. And, and even to those dungeons, like those magic dungeons, the, the, the mansion trial that Lamina gives you, as opposed to the, the, the cave trial from the first looter, I think like the, the way they do the magic trial and, and here is way better. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's way more clever, but just just going through that. And now the game is showing you, hey, like this is what your magic can do. Yeah, this is some of the advantages that it can provide. And this is what your characters can provide to the battle space. I thought that, OK, like now I see what each party member brings to the table and how valuable they are. And I I thought like that exemplified what you're trying to say perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I will say on that point about the magic that that actually is one of the spots that I was actually really disappointed I'm being honest, and it, it, mm. it's specifically with Hero and Leo because their magic spells are kind of pointless. Yes, like their abilities are fantastic, but their magic spells are trash. And if it wasn't for the fact that a, I just straight up asked you in Discord, I was just like, 
hey, so about this magic shit, because I knew like as soon as I like technically it's an unlimited resource, right? Like you could go and grind a bunch of MP from from fights, but ain't nobody got time for that. So I was just like, all right, this is a pseudo limited resource. I know I've I've played enough of these that I know that there's a bad choice somewhere in here. And that's why I asked you about it. And then I went and looked up some information about it. And basically, yeah, the consensus is like, do not waste your magic XP on wind or earth because they are hot garbage. And it's kind of a bummer in that with everything else being equal, like that there's kind of these two outliers of just like, Oh, don't don't waste your resources there because that's going to be a a sink and you're going to really regret it. And it's odd, right? Because like a lot of other games, uh, RPGs in particular, will have a lot of these pitfalls. And I I always find it very frustrating where it's like you have no way of, you know, effectively respecting your character or fixing your mistake. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, that it is what it is now. And for a game that like I've been saying, in my opinion, I feel like it's done a really stellar job of making everything in your character's kits feel useful given the proper situation. It's odd that like those two are these like strange outliers of just like, no, no, those are total wastes of time. Yeah. It's also weird when they get to Neo vein and they say hero can use magic and Ron Far can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like really? Like okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the uh, alternatively, if you dump your magic points into one character too much, like if you dump all of your magic points into Ronfar, eventually he'll become too advanced in his levels that casting his all party healing will drain too much of his MP, mm-hmm. and like it won't, like the cost won't be worth the benefit. Like you could have kept him at a level prior. Or that spell wouldn't have leveled up and he still would have healed your party completely and you could use the MP and apply it to somebody else. Mm. There is some risk reward to it. I mean, definitely level up heal. If you're at the end of the game and your heal isn't at least at level 30, it's you've done. It's almost like the game was like really well balanced before working designs messed it up. <laughs> no, it's not just working designs. But I, I mean, you know, you want to grind out these battles so you have enough MP to save. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. so you end up like, in a way, kind of screwing yourself over. It screws you over if you try to take advantage of grinding. I don't. I, I don't know what what were they thinking. Dude, I, they, and some of these, it's one of those great mysteries. I don't get it. Yeah, I think that is clearly the worst thing that they've ever done to any game. And I, you know, I don't know. Exile two. Oh, I don't. What I don't, don't remember what they did in that. That game, Exile two is uh, oh, a yeah, yeah. turbo turbo CD game. Yeah, yeah, where they made it almost impossible. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's beyond broken by is like that for a couple bosses mm-hmm. too where you they like tripled the hit points for some of the bosses <laughs> but it, but something that is so consistently present throughout the entire game you know i just yeah it's, it's such a weird thing and it just it, it seems almost like they wanted people to like hate it <laughs> <laughs> i understand that they're like well saving has to have some penalty and i understand where that mindset comes from because again this is a time when RPGs were very much looking at what Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy mm-hmm. were doing, and they had specific rules about where you could save. If yeah. you were in a dungeon, you couldn't save. You had to find a save point. Or in Dragon Quest, you had to find a church, and you just couldn't save wherever you wanted to. So 
working designs looked at this game was probably like, well, you can save whatever. This makes it a baby game for babies, which no, it didn't. It was just the way it was designed. And it, as you said, Corey, like it was perfectly balanced before they wanted to do anything. Do I think like going through the unworked version, do I think some bosses were a little easier? Like the, the, the dragon fiends mm-hmm. were, were relative cakewalks, especially like the red fiend and the, on the first go round, not the second one. The second one was major pain in the ass, but like, I remember defeating that in three turns. I'm like, this is not what I remember <laughs> from the North American version originally. Like yeah. I, I remember struggling quite a bit and having to use the dragon uh, crest, but here is just kind of like, Oh, okay. Like there were times I was like, I kind of understand them making this a little bit more difficult. Mm. I get it. Yeah. I think overall, like they shouldn't have, like, don't mess with like the hit points or the damage they're dealing or the defense they have. Because ultimately, I mean, again, this is one of those things that we have learned from. Yeah, that exactly. Localizers yeah. have learned from. Yeah. Not to do this anymore. Uh, because, you know, they're like, they took the rental mentality to an RPG and it was the wrong move. And now a lot of people know to and do that. In renting fact, out Sega CD game. <laughs> I mean, like, valid I guess question. Village, Village Video in Falconer, uh-huh. New York, rented uh-huh. out, but they didn't have this. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, like, that's where I rented that. that Make your video by Marky yeah. Mark and the Funky Bunch and Road Avenger, That's, which is amazing, by the way. I, no, I, I need to put that out on my list. Oh, Road Avenger is amazing. <laughs> it's like the best uh, intro song of all, like Ooh. of any game ever, basically. It beats out Lunar One. Yeah, like handily beats it out. Ooh, I'm interested. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you like, if you like rock. You like, oh, I love rock. Okay. Well, then, <laughs> Chris is our uh, resident butt rock expert. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. Okay, I, okay. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link to it when we're done recording. Oh, nice. I think that makes a good transition. I think we've talked enough about gameplay. That's a good transition to get into the audio here. I'm gonna put the graphics to the side for a minute. All right. And because we are talking about audio, mm-hmm. let's get into the audio. Uh, Shane, we haven't started off a topic with you so far. What do you think about the game's audio design? I mean, I, I don't know if I have a lot to say other than I, I think it's great. <laughs> like, I, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoy everything about it. Um, I, I will say, and I feel like I remember getting some pushback on this commentary from, well, both of you last time when we talked about uh, Silver Star. Okay, let, let, me, let me preface this by saying I understand that in, in that time, in, in, in the 1994 this this was like far and beyond almost anything else as far as like voice acting in a game so i fully 100% recognize that i will still say some of it is not fantastic um it does still feel really wooden in terms of its delivery but for the most part it's it's very very competently done I think just the fact that it includes so much VO, I think is a huge bonus in and of itself. As far as like the sound design and everything, I think all of it is very satisfying. The the soundtrack is great. I will point out that my favorite, because I am always a a sucker for some some good like church organ, gothic ass Castlevania shit. The track for the towers slash dungeon 
in, when you're uh, collecting your your party members again in vain is absolutely my standout favorite track. Just want to put that out there. Uh, there is there's a, just a ton more voice acting in this, you know, it's, way more. Yeah. Just like cutscenes in general. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I feel like like hero might be the like the weakest link. Like Lucia, I mean, Lucia is kind of blank intentionally, though, I think, because that's, you know, like her character, at least at, at first. So you can kind of hear like the changes she goes through. She's a Silent Hill 2 character. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think like what you said about hero, too. I mean, that's that's kind of heroes skicked, right? Yeah. He's kind of the weakest link in terms of the story anyway. He's he's like the silent protagonist. But he talks a lot. You know, he does, but not as much as the rest of your party does. Right. They, they, you can tell that they're trying to put you in this, in the seat of hero. Yeah. But he still he talks prob- more than your typical main protagonist at the time. I think. Yeah. Way more, way, 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 way more. Certainly uh, uh, almost more than eight all in East three, which is probably <laughs> very obscure thing to say, uh, but certainly more than, certainly more than Alex. Mm. That's. Uh, from Lunar One. So uh, I, you can see the shift again. Alex, a very silent protagonist outside of when Quark is being killed. And then you have Hero, who is way more talkative, mm. which I think, again, and I'm kind of going dipping back in the story here, shows game art's dedication to the narrative yeah. more in this game than than what they had with Lunar One, which was extremely basic comparatively. But what did you think of the the audio overall, Corey? Oh, I, th- I think the soundtrack is is really, really good. Just, you know, replaying it recently, I, I found myself just thinking, like, I can't believe that I didn't think this was as good as the the Sega CD original. There's certain songs in the Sega CD original that are just uh, just amazing sounding, but that's just because of the the Red Book audio. Uh, I mean, I wrote on here, it says, you know, that the uh, the weird thing about this is the the music is there's a lot more music. Uh, but it's compressed PCM audio. So it's, it's, a, it sounds like a noticeable d- downgrade. I don't know if either of you yes. guys thought about like, oh, the music doesn't sound very good. No, 100% does not sound as good. No. Which I mean, because it's uh, 22 kilohertz PCM audio just makes it sound kind of fuzzy. Uh, but there is so much more to it that it, uh, it, it, it makes what would come in Silver Star Story Complete sound even worse because like it's so much better than like any of the songs in Silver Star Story Complete, I think. The Star Dragon Tower, uh, the final dungeon in the epilogue, uh, has like probably one of my favorite pieces of game music of all time. You know, it's just like, the, it's like the most like epic sounding, like I'm like, this is the end, you know, like climbing up this tower. It's like not even in the Japanese version. It's not even by the, uh, the game's composer. Apparently it was like some freelancer for working designs because they thought that, Oh, this is like the like the very very end. We can't just have the music that's played in every other tower up to this point. Uh, just play again, and uh, it's only in the Sega CD version. It's not incomplete. Like there's for some reason they could not put it in complete. You know they can tool around with all this other stuff, but they can't put this song in there for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a great piece of music, and uh, w- absolutely one of the most memorable yeah, like piece of uh, game music I've ever heard. So I'm going to echo a lot of what both of you already said. I think that echo is appropriate here. Voice acting top notch for for 95. Mm-hmm. Just working designs. Snatcher, I think working designs. Yeah. Like just below Snatcher. No, just below Snatcher. Yeah. What what can compare to Snatcher's performances really <laughs> when you think about it? 
for the time. Yeah, top notch. It's it's up there. Uh, the music, yes, you can tell that's a lower quality. It's not Red Book audio, but when you consider how much is packed onto this disc, yeah, which is still like, I think they had to put everything. They felt like they had to put everything on one disc because I don't think they knew how to make multi disc games for the Sega CD. I can't think of a multi disc game for the Sega CD. Uh, isn't oh Night Trap is is it? Yeah. Oh, well, like halfway there through. Go. I it's- mean, but it just ejects the disc and you swap it halfway through. Uh, okay. But they the, still the fact that they put all this on one disc. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it might be compressed. That audio is compressed. And I, I get that. But it still sounds you, you can tell they were using. Real sounding instruments yeah. like the, the it sounds you can tell it's not using the system hardware. It's using like pre generated, pre recorded uh, sounds and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Now, in my in my personal opinion, I do like the original lunar soundtrack i think it fits it very appropriately i think this one is better mm. but what i think this one exemplifies most of all is how iwadare was evolving yes so noriyuki iwadare the composer of this he also has done a lot of other games of course right now he's doing the or recently he's done the ace attorney games famously but if you look at what he has done with first lunar mm-hmm. And then you see what he does with Lunar 2. Then go to Grandia. Yes. And you see the evolution. Mm-hmm. Because I think Grandia is one of the best soundtracks ever made. Period. Yeah. In terms of how it sounds, how it's... If you listen to just how, like, the full tracks for that game, it's, it's mind-blowing just how well composed they are. Oh, yeah. I don't think he gets there without this game. Oh, because yeah, absolutely not. There, there are examples in here that you hear, especially when you're driving around on the overworld map with the... Uh, Dragon Ship Destiny with yeah. your vehicle that you get. And if you just sit there, like you're not going to hear all of it because they're they're very long tracks and the, the tracks always reset when you change scenes mm-hmm. in, in certain instances. But if you just sit there in some instances and you just listen to how long these tracks go on. Yeah. Like he wrote his ass off. Right. And how well these they're, they're brilliant. They're just utterly brilliant. I do agree that that final track is really good. <laughs> I think I think that's a Red Book audio track, too, if I recall correctly. Like, that's actually on the disc. Um, you can play it. I'd have to go. I don't have yeah, the disc. I, I can't check it out. But I think it might be. I feel like it's it's not. But I don't, I don't know. Because I think that the, the I finally was able to get it on CD when with complete because it's on there. OK, I know it's odd. What you say is totally true about the, uh, you know, like the evolution of of his music, because you know, when I think back on the first one, like the, the, the first one had a great soundtrack, but there's no central theme. No. Like tying everything together. Uh, and then this one really has a central theme and Grandy especially does. But then Silver Star Story Complete has a theme tying everything together. It's just not as good as Lunar 2 or Grandia. Well, because I think I think Silver Star Story Complete tried to borrow so much from this game. Yes. In terms of its theming mm. and what it what Silver Star Story Complete didn't understand is that Silver Star Story was its own thing. And then they were like, well, we did all these crazy good things with Lunar 2 that we want to put it in this game without realizing, no, that's that's a bad idea. Right. I think there's we're not doing Silver Star Story Complete and we didn't. But now that I played it after that episode, a lot of ideas in that game were bad ideas. <laughs> I did not like a lot of it. Yeah, I think the audio, much like the narrative, it's it's it shows maturation. Yeah. Now, there are there are things I don't like. Sometimes when enemies die, they make weird noises. Yeah. Sometimes menu noises are off. Yeah. 
a lot of the hardware sounds do not sound good. Like the actual sound design is very, very, very questionable and iffy and it's noticeable and grating. Mm -hmm. But uh, in terms of when it's actually using the power of the Sega CD, in terms of its, uh, you know, voice acting and music, it's 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 again, mind blowing. I'll say this again when we get to the graphics. It's mind blowing. This all made it onto one six hundred and fifty megabyte disc. Yeah. Well, and and on that note, um, just to expand a little bit on on the the voiceover, just for the sake of comparison, so Silver Star had like roughly fifteen minutes, give or take, of voiced content, and Eternal Blue has like over an hour and a half. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so fitting all of that on there is is pretty impressive. The other thing that I want to make a note of, which I think validates kind of what I was saying a little bit with with the perhaps somewhat dubious quality of some of the voice acting uh is there there's a very distinct difference between the japanese and the english releases of this game so for the record the japanese version employed veteran anime voice actors to voice these characters whereas the english release working designs quite literally just hired friends and yeah. people from their production crew. Yeah. And that's and that's what they've always done. It worked. And they bring back the same people. For the most from part. Game. Yeah. Galleon, John True, he's like, you know, he's just having a great time. See, okay, yeah. there's that. This this is the thing you guys stuck me on last time because y'all are just like John Truitt fanboys, apparently. Well, in this role. I don't know anything else he's ever done. Because I brought that up last time where I was just like, Galleon, he's like, I mean, he's all right. He, he he feels real cheesy and the deliveries are a yeah. little weird and you guys are like yes. no he's a fucking national treasure and I'm like okay yeah. all right yes. fine fine okay Shane <laughs> to respond to your statements mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> sure uh, agree to disagree I guess yeah I'm agreeing with all your points. Uh, he is a national treasure. He is cheesy. They are <laughs> delivered weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it so special. Yeah, okay. But, he, but he's showing right. the scenery, really. Yes. Yeah. He's owning it by pay, overpaying for it. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, I got it. It's a, it's, a, it's a Jill sandwich situation. Got it. All right. It's not quite that, but I mean, it's in the same ballpark. It's, I love John Truett. He does a fantastic job. I mean, again, I, I can't imagine what the recording was, but I think that the, the standards were far different. And even you could say, well, the Japanese version did the voice acting differently. Well, Japanese in 1995, like the difference between voice acting in the United States and Japan in general, let alone video games, was just like a, a cavernous gap. Yeah. That that made the the Grand Canyon blush. Yeah, <laughs> like your voice actors in Japan were celebrities in 1995. Yeah, you couldn't even name a voice actor in 1995. Who knew Mark Hamill was the voice acting the Joker in 1995? No one knew that. Well, probably some people did, but and in, and and in video games, and that's like that's Batman. That's the Joker in Batman. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's like the most I can say is like even if you don't like it, at least. At least they tried to do a good job. Yeah. Like they cared about what they were doing. You know, they took it. They, they took it seriously. So much that they put the outtakes at the end. Yeah. 
I, you want I I have bad voice acting games for you, Shane. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to throw criticism, I I just I I just love how like vehemently both of you defend the voice acting in this game. It's <laughs> it's amusing. I, I'm not even saying that it's like god awful. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just I I, I am saying that it was it was good for the time, but it's mm, one yeah. of those things that going back and listening to it now, you're just like. This this delivery is a, a little stiff. Like it could have had a little bit more emotion here, and perhaps this could have sounded a little bit more natural. There are a lot of times where mm. the delivery feels very much like I'm reading off of a script. Yeah, but again, that was at that time. So yeah, not saying it's terrible. Uh, I'm just pointing it out. I'm being semi-objective. Sure, you you can. I will recommend to you Cosmic Fantasy too. <laughs> Another working yeah. designs joint. Yeah. <laughs> and we, you can let me you can let me know what you think of the voice acting there. And then you can come back to me about Lunar 2. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of these characters, actors would like reprise their role and in, in complete and, you know, do a better job, I think, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. With the exact same script in a lot of instances, at least voice acting wise. I heard that, that. Yeah, I heard complete uh, for Lunar for Lunar 2 was very, very, very faithful, mm-hmm. very faithful, except for the magic experience points, bastards. <laughs> so I think it's time that we move on to the visual presentation here, since we normally do that before the audio. <laughs> so let's talk about how good this game looks. I'll I'll kick this one off. Uh, I think I've said enough. I'm surprised how they fit this all on one disc. Mm-hmm. How I, I, I get that they compress the screen a little bit, but like I understand standard JRPG graphics, but this is so much more well, I'll start with the graphics basically. So much more colorful than Lunar One. Mm-hmm. Like extremely more colorful. Uh this looks like uh it has the color palette of a Super Nintendo game. I don't know if it's because that's on a, a the Sega CD. Sega Genesis infamous for not having a color palette usually as colorful mm-hmm. as as a Super Nintendo is just because it couldn't display as many colors on screen at the same time. I I I don't see that here. I, I think that it's very, very it's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. Backgrounds are very detailed in the battle map. The animations are well conceived. Enemies, especially like the, the fiend dragons, bosses, like uh, elaborately designed, ex- excellent sprite work. And back to my comments of how did they put this on one disc? The cinematics uh, for anime type games, for animated cinematics, for the Sega CD. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say for a 16 bit, you know, system. A 16-bit Sega uh, CD system because I have seen better animation on the Turbo CD slash PC Engine CD. East Four comes to mind. Mm-hmm. The, the animation in that game is just fucking brilliant. But uh, for the Sega CD, it's amazing. Like, and how much they have. It's just there's so many animated movies. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, and this is go- like this is going on for five minutes. Yeah, this hasn't stopped this like Final Fantasy seven advertised something like 45 minutes or an, uh, an hour of CG. And that was on three discs. This is one disc and mm. it feels like there's 30 to 45 minutes of animated cutscenes. What? How did they do? I don't know. I don't know. And it looks good. Well, it's because they're not video files They're But it's like, yeah. you know, just displaying the frames. You're ruining the magic for me, Corey. Damn it. <laughs> I don't want to know how the sausage but is yeah, made. I just want to go eat ahead. It. Go ahead. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Now I know. 
<laughs> Go ahead, Corey. I'm uh, sorry. I was rambling anyway. No, I, I think it's a great looking game. And, uh, you know, even when it first came out, I thought like, like the color palette is real weird in this. Like they really go hmm. like heavy on these like darker shades of green a lot. And hmm. I, like, I thought it was weird at the time. And even now just like, Oh, even this like has a little bit of a green, even like even the black color has kind of a, a greenish tint to it. And it's sort of ugly, but you know, I think it's, it's rather unique at the same time. Uh, but you know, just the entire, like, the towns and like the roofs and everything. It's just, it's so, it's a huge, huge upgrade over the, uh, the last one, even just like the overworld map and the way how the towns are like really detailed, even on the overworld. Like you see them like kind of in the, like nestled into the mountains and stuff like that. It's a huge improvement over the, the, the last one, but it's, 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 it's kind of weird looking at the same time Hmm. or color wise. Ah, interesting. (laughs) I thought it was more shades of blue. But I, 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 I see I what you're, it was, I see what you're like, saying. There's definitely a lot of green, just even from the, huh. the, uh, like the text boxes and everything like that. It's all like a weird shade of green. Yeah. The text boxes are a weird shade. Yeah. I mean, you can, yeah. you can change the, the background of your text boxes. But it just changes like the, the texture on it. Or they, it does. Yeah. But it, it lessens that weird greenness. That was like one of the first right. things I did. Yeah. It's not, it's not good <laughs> yeah, looking. Like, no. like text box number two all day long. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a great looking game, though, just in general. You know, but those cutscenes are amazing. I didn't know that they used uh, shenanigans for their movie files. So now I feel I feel I feel <laughs> well, cheated. That's, that's why they're so clear, you know, is because they're just like animated, like like still frames. You know, it's not it's not a video file. Shane, what do you think? Uh, honestly, I don't really have a lot more to add to what both of you have said. I, I think I generally agree with everything I I didn't notice the green tint thing though. Now, now I'm going to have to go and look at it again, but outside of that, now I think everything looks great. I really, I'm always a sucker for good 2d sprite animation and a lot of the animation cycles in this game, particularly the, the enemies, because I mean the, like the overworld sprites for your characters, there aren't too many games where that looks like fantastic. It's really just a couple frames of like, look at my feet moving back and forth <laughs> and that's kind of it. And so that's whatever. But there were several times when I would encounter new enemy types in the random battles where I would just look at sort of like their idle animation and it's just how smooth it is. It's just mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> so I I really appreciated that. And I really did like the the backgrounds for a lot of the the battle sequences. Um, it's not necessarily anything groundbreaking to have like, you know, different backgrounds that sort of coincide with the area that you happen to be in at the time. But this is one of the few times, oddly enough, because it seems like a small thing, but it's it's one of these times where I noticed it a lot more often than I would in in other games, and I think it's just because the the quality of those backgrounds were were so well done with like the the perspective giving depth to things like in 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 the background and things like that. So no, and, and honestly, thinking about it in this time, like ninety four ninety five, if I had seen this then, and I'm thinking about what I was playing at that time, which was still you know just jamming away at the the super nintendo playing something like this and seeing 
not only, well, I guess the illusion of full motion video and <laughs> full voice acting, man, that would have blown my tiny mind. Yeah. I, it, I, like I said, it still, it still blows my mind. Now, now it's been ruined, but <laughs> I, I'll pretend my life is a lie. <laughs> it's all a lie. Well, the music still blows my mind and the voices and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I can still say I'm surprised it's on one disc. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, great audio, great visuals. All right. Now it's time for the patron pontifications. So for every episode, we ask our patrons in our discord server what they think of the upcoming episode. And then we send it to them. And I'm just going to put it this way. We are going to say whatever they put out here. Uh, and just what their thoughts of the games were. So if you want to provide your thoughts about the upcoming games, head on over to our Discord, join the Patreon for as little as $1 a month, and you can provide your thoughts that will be read in this segment. And we will be starting out with Randall, our rowdy Randall, who shills for PCs. And Randall says, My pontification is, I watched Chris play through most of the game. He seemed really happy about it, so it must be a good game. Good music and cutscenes. Thank you, Randall. Yes, you did. You watched me cry on stream, and you thought I was so fucked up. You didn't think I was emotional. You thought I was, like, drunk beyond belief. I remember you commenting on that, so thank you. <laughs> uh, you cried? I did. Wait, wait, what made you cry? The opening. Oh, just like... The, just just the the, overwhelming emotion. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I'll, I'll get to that on whether or not it, it, it held up. I'll talk more about that. Okay. But yeah, it, it, this game makes me cry every single time I start playing it. All right. All right. Jay. Well, moving right on to Storm Beagle, who says it is a game, apparently, for the PlayStation and Sega CD. And I look forward to hearing Chris and Shane talk about it and probably leaving me with a desire to play it. Thank you, Storm Beagle. Storm Beagle is part of the Retrotopia podcast. Go check them out. Right. Next is Lyle, longtime patron St. Lyle. First or I think first patron St. Lyle. And Lyle says it's the second best color based game about a moon I've never played. We've been asking ourselves here while we were loading up these comments, Lyle, what's the first best color based game about a moon? Uh, maybe it is Lunar the Silver Star. Is it a silver is a color? Oh, Jesus, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you, Lyle. But that's not a moon. Yeah, I was just style. like, is it, is it re the red true. faction? No, that's Mars. I yeah. don't, okay, I don't know. That, that's right, Lyle. Sil it's about the silver star, not the silver moon. Ah, it's going to be, gotcha. it's going to be something else. Mm. Don't tell me when you find out what it is. <laughs> or at least maybe give me a hint and see if I can figure it out. I'm going to be thinking about okay. this for days, I think. Okay. All right. Well, this Chimera says, I'll probably play this game in 2024. All I have to say for now is those characters sure do have huge chins. So thank you. They do. This Chimera. Just now I can't unsee that. I, I need to see. Or he's checking it out. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to look up some photos here. I mean, I guess they do. I, I, I don't know. It looks looks like, you know, after this is is done, I should find this photo. So this this piece of artwork you just shared of like, it's like one of my favorite pieces of game artwork with like Hero and uh, Lucius silhouette and against against the blue star in the background. And I, I mm -hmm. drew that 
in uh in art class and i have like a big i still have it like a big hand, oh wow hand drawing of it i think i must have drawn it in uh in 11th grade because that's when the game came out nice that the reason i shared that art with our with our discord is because i too like love this piece of art mm-hmm. so when he said that was his reaction and this is an artist and he also has the youtube channel game over hell which is really good you should check that out but when i shared it in the discord a uh, discomer is also an artist, so I can understand that's a that's his artist's perspective. And now I can't unsee it. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never thought about that before. All right. Next is JC. JC. And JC says yeah. that he's never played Lunar, but remembers seeing it for sale many moons ago uh-huh. and loving the cover art. <laughs> then Chris started streaming it and it became known affectionately as the never ending story. It <laughs> was a long, I streamed that for quite a while. If you are correct. I think a 30, uh, 15, two hour sessions. If I remember correctly. Dang. So yeah, it was a long time. All right. Dang. Next up, we've got parallax puddles. who says I have never played any of the lunar games, but I always saw them in articles and such over the years. After hearing a few pods about them, I decided to finally give this one a try. And boy, howdy, was I surprised. The anime (laughs) cutscenes are pretty cool, and the colors pop really well against the backgrounds, but my favorite thing in the game so far is the battle sequences. I thought it was going to be just another RPG with your typical right and left sides, but no. The characters move and shift around the field depending on what's happening with them, and I think that that is a neat way to create motion in an otherwise stagnant system. I won't dawdle too much. I have much to do in the game, but I am sold. Outstanding. Thank you, Parallax Puddles. And Ray Ray, who's giving us his pontification, which is the last one for today, says, and he's not talking about the quiet man. Inside joke, yes. Uh, He says that I played the PS1 version of this game. Either way, Eternal Blue was probably an improvement over Silver Star in terms of being a technical game, but it's just not as memorable as the predecessor. The cast of characters was likable, although working designs had to shoehorn unnecessary, mostly contrived humor, and the soundtrack is wonderful, but again, felt inferior to Silver Star. Oat song forever. Very solid RPG, but you can't help but feel that something was missing. Uh, It looks like you were agreeing with him there, Cor. No? (laughs) 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 Nope. <laughs> <laughs> is it because he's talking about complete yeah yeah okay <laughs> all right that concludes our patron pontifications oh wow cracked on that one <laughs> uh, uh the one piece i want to bring up here is kei shigema is still very much involved in the game industry their most recent con- contribution to video games was being a writer for Octopath Traveler 2. Oh. So hmm. they are they are still very present yeah. in terms of uh, writing for video games. I have not played Octopath Traveler 2, so someone's going to have to let me know if it's the super, bot, super good. Is that good. I've heard it's like, okay. like really, really good. A lot of people, people were mixed on the first one, but everything I've heard from people that played this one is said that it's like one of the best RPGs in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the team is a lot of the team that made this game is still making games to this day, too. And I I just thought that one stuck out the most to me because I think a lot it's still within RPGs, very plot related. I know a lot of our listeners probably enjoyed that as well. So, yeah, I really thought that was interesting. Uh, But that's all I got. Shane, do you have anything else? I do not. All right. So I guess this is going to bring us to the conclusion 
of this episode. We got another beefy one for you. Mm. <laughs> beef. Of that beef. We're, we're providing all that sustenance after you know, <laughs> continuing on from Gauntlet Legends. So we're just creeping closer and closer to like the the three hour episodes that we started this show with like 10 <laughs> years ago. We promised we'd never get back to again. <laughs> I, I know how that is. I... <laughs> yeah, we're going to have four hour My Life in Gaming episodes too here soon. So yeah, I mean, well, like, if that's what happens, yeah. <laughs> I'll still watch them. <laughs> Over the course of a month. Yeah, right, right. Let's uh, talk about whether or not we think this game holds up today. So, Shane, how about you kick this one off? You're the newcomer here. This is your first time playing it. What do you think of Lunar 2? Does it hold up today? Well, you know, um, in the spirit of the dude, I will stick with brevity. And I will say that, uh, yes, yes, it does. As someone who has no, no dog in this fight in terms of nostalgia or anything, Coming into this one, only having played Silver Star just last year, I had a lot of fun with it. It it really pulled me in. And like we were saying in the plot section, I was really invested in the story and the characters. And I think the, the party mechanics are well done enough that it's enjoyable to play. Even when you get to some spots where you might want to grind a little bit, it never feels tiresome. Um, things move along at a pretty good clip. And overall, it's it's a really enjoyable experience. I, I really don't have too many things that I can fault it on. And if I do, then they're probably nitpicks. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you can find a copy or if you just sell the high seas and find one, then you could do that. But I, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, it's still a great time even today. Outstanding. Yeah. And, and don't find a copy. It's like three four hundred dollars or something <laughs> like that so highly advise against finding a physical copy unless you really have nothing better to spend your money on just my personal advice hopefully you already have one playstation versions a little bit cheaper so there's that uh but it's not the six deep one but i think playstation version is like a hundred dollars either way uh it's an expensive game so i think you already know my answer if you've listened to this episode and if you've made it to this point why haven't you I, unless you're just skipping to the end to get to my opinion. Obviously, the answer is yes. But I, yeah, I know. Let me just explain how much this game does mean to me. Uh, I don't know if Ashton's going to keep this part in or not, but you, you can even go to our YouTube channel. We were talking about in the patron pontifications uh, when Randall was talking about he watched this on stream. Every single time this game boots up, I start uncontrollably crying. And it's not like a sad cry. It's like all these feelings of nostalgia and just I don't know what it is I'm just overwhelmed emotionally where I just I love this game I am so enamored with it and it just strikes me in a way that I don't know if any other game really does because there's nothing it has sad moments right so I'm not crying because I'm sad I'm not crying because it's an emotional scene it's just there's a rush of feeling feelings that just just hit me so hard that i'm just i am inconsolable you can't talk to me like i i just gotta have my moments and that's where this game is this is an extremely special game it's my favorite 16-bit rpg full stop i like this game more than chrono trigger i like it more than final fantasy 4 i think that 
if more people had played it, more people would feel that way, especially if they had played Lunar Silver Star before. I mean, obviously, it's the best RPG on the Sega Genesis if you include the Sega CD in there. And I will because Turbo CD fans always like to say it's a Turbo Graphics game. So, ha, I'm getting you back. <laughs> so this is an immensely special game that I think everyone should take the time, especially if you're listening to a show like ours and go and play it. Because the the amount of love and care and attention to detail that Game Arts put into this, despite being on a system that no one owned and where they did own it, like very few people would buy it. Yeah, it's the second best selling game in Japan, but that was an, an add on to a system that was 13 that was third place in that generation. Mm-hmm. This was a this was a game that not a lot of people experienced naturally as it came out and what game arts did here the the way they told their story the way they developed their characters the way they created this world is just something i haven't really seen in terms of its levity in terms of its seriousness in terms of the messages is trying to convey in such a perfect way for a game of its time i've already said it it's it's i won't call it perfect it's not perfect but i can't think of another game from this era i'd rather play more often unless i just want to have fun that's final fantasy 5 but it's nothing tops it it's that special to me so absolutely yes unquestionably yes it holds up please 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 play it i want to have more conversations with people about this yeah how about yourself Corey? I mean, it's it's very obvious uh, just how much every single person that worked on this cared about making it, uh, and and it's it very impressive just how fully realized and cohesive of a game it is, especially something that's like so grand in scope with like so many uh, well defined characters, um, and like we talked about earlier, I think that the fact that there was no like, I mean, like Lunar Magic School came out after this. I Or did, I don't, on the Game Gear and then on the Saturn. Yeah. I don't know if it came out afterwards, but there was no uh, direct sequel. Because they ended it so perfectly that they did everything that they wanted to do. And they didn't want to cheapen the, uh, the ending of this by saying like, you know, well, actually there's this is going to happen. You know, like everyone just cared about all these, about this world, about the people that inhabited it, inhabited it and, uh, and the characters. And I, I think that it's, it's really special in that way because that, that comes across in every aspect of this game. Um, that it, you should, de- it definitely holds up in every single way. Uh, although I will say that, you know, if, if you wanted to play the PlayStation version, it's it's not that much of a different experience than the uh, than the Sega CD game, and you're okay, you know, just playing the PlayStation version instead. If you wanted to, uh, it's not like a situation where uh, like between Silver Star and Silver Star Story, and I think that you know, like I I think that playing Silver Star Story before this takes away from this, but playing Silver Star then playing this it like makes silver star an even better game i don't if if that makes any sense 
It makes sense to me, Corey. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I totally do. And now I, I actually like Silver Star's story even less after <laughs> we talked last, last time about the game. So, uh, yeah. It's a situation where, like, just because they, they could make it with all the stuff that it has in it, that doesn't mean they should have. No. No. It's, I'm, it's not, I'm not going to say it's bad, but. No, it's, it's certainly not bad, but it's, you know regrettable <laughs> it's i mean they just did this stuff they try to take everything that they learned with making lunar 2 and put it into that but they just expand everything that takes away from it makes this, the moments that are meant to be special in two seem less special yes no i agree i, I agree 100 percent. before i close this episode i just want to ask you one thing Corey. sure and in yourself as well shane um if althena's dead how do the statues heal our main characters I don't know. Where's the blue spire in the first game? Yeah, where is, is it? it? Mm. <laughs> why, why do my characters pay a hundred silver or a thousand silver, depending on what version you are, to a statue when they already know the church is corrupt? I don't know. Uh, but they do. And they're, they're, I don't know why I'm bringing this up now. <laughs> Re- residual energy. That's my answer. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all for joining us today on this beefy episode. Beef. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, for stopping by once again to talk about talk about Lunar, uh, a Lunar game. And uh, it's always a joy having you on here. So thank you so much for stopping by, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, it's it's just great to be able to talk about this game, these games in a way that uh, it just feels natural. You know, it doesn't have to be like we don't have to explain anything. We just can just talk about, about the game itself and like our experience playing it, you know, when it was new and like what it what it means to us because i think that these games mean a lot to most of the people that played them oh yeah you know, more like in, in the same way that earthbound means a lot to the people who played mm-hmm. that it's this has a very similar effect on the people that played it at a, at a certain age absolutely well now that we've covered three out of the four working designs game shane maybe maybe we should think about doing vi and inviting Corey. Corey back for that if we do it i am uh i'm not opposed to that i, 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 I thought he was gonna say he's just like ah you know our schedule's real full forget it just gotta remember where the uh where the money vortex is the money vortex uh chest oh yeah i don't know the easy way to do it is just use cheats then you know especially for those grinding battles right <laughs> There's your preview of Vi. Great. Cheat. Yeah. Can't wait. Vi does have a very good soundtrack. It does. Phenomenal soundtrack. That one's, it's, I think there's, version came out on iOS. I don't know if it's still possible to get though. Yeah, it did. It did. With improved anime cutscenes. Yeah. For the time being, we're going to wrap this one up. So as uh, we are want to do, I think we've said that so far. (laughs) Almost three hours and we finally say it. Corey, where can we find you on the internet? Where can where can people reach out and find your content? Yep, they can uh, find me on the YouTube channel My Life in Gaming, uh, and uh, on the podcast. Here's my question for you, which uh, used to come out every week, but now it just comes out when we feel like <laughs> recording when we have the chance to. Uh, hopefully, we'll get back into like a uh, regular release schedule with it. Uh, that's it. You won't find me like interacting anywhere else very often 
The internet's a hellscape. <laughs> yeah. That is that is for sure. All right, Shane. How about our stuff? What? Our stuff? Huh. <laughs> well, speaking of hellscapes. Good morning. Uh, if, you <laughs> 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 if you would like to join our own little corner of uh of of that then you can and not only can you but we make it easy uh take that for however you will but uh just head over to our link tree it's it's as simple as that really just go to linktree slash retro hangover it's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash retro hangover and you can find all of the fancy buttons for you to tap and or click on uh, one of those will bring you to our public discord that Chris mentioned earlier. And uh, I highly suggest you jump in there if you haven't done that already. It's a great little community. It is it is always active. There are always things going on. We've got monthly high score challenges. We have the retro hangover review crew, monthly game book club style thing. Uh, God, I don't know. It's its its, its own entity now. It is, it is beyond us. It, it lives... Separately from Chris and I, we just we watch uh, from afar. Not really. Actually, we're in there pretty often. But, uh, so definitely check that out. If you'd like to support the show uh, in perhaps a, a more concrete fashion, there's a couple ways you can do that. We do have a Patreon and a merch store. Please feel free to check those out if you'd like. Uh, the Patreon does give a lot of really awesome bennies, um, tons of bonus audio content, just to name one thing. And uh, let's see, what else we got? We've got a YouTube channel, so you can go over there, take a look at our VODs, uh, as well as video versions of these episodes. And speaking of VODs, how would we get those, one might ask. And I would answer, well, they come from the Twitch. So, uh, Chris, what do we do on on Twitch television uh, on, a, on a weekly basis? Well, if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover at 9 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, which is one hour after my life in gaming starts streaming, which I'm contractually obligated to do when I have for your try on here, because they also stream at uh, on Sunday night at 8 p.m. So if you want to go check them out, go check them out, too. But uh, if if for some reason YouTube is broken, you have nothing better to do. You can head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and we'll be streaming there. So uh, you can catch us playing a game. As I mentioned, you can see me crying to almost 30 year old. Well, now 30 year old JRPGs and you can tell your friends about it. And if you want to do that, you can go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover uh, and, and see me do that. So, yeah, there it is, Shane. Back to you. That was a great selling point, you know, and it's just like, would you like to see a grown man cry? <laughs> yeah, please, please come over here. Uh, yeah, it's a naked blue haired waifus. Yeah, there you go. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, Getting my body pillow. <laughs> well, on that note, with all of those things, for better or worse, having been said, until next time. Play with your blue haired Lucia body pillow joysticks. The question I have for you, Corey. Is would you rather play it over Donkey Kong Country 3? Uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm going to boot it up after this, and I'm going to just be like, Let's check it out. Because I, I, I own it. Bought it off of eBay, I never played it. Never yeah. even put the cartridge in. Ashton, make the Donkey Kong Country 3 part, of, part an outtake towards the end. It's a little... <laughs> that, that's not out yet. It's too obscure of a reference. <laughs> I just wanted to drop it there.
Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.